All right, what's up, listeners? Welcome back to Predator vs. Movies. I'm Alex. I'm Peter. I'm Aiden. And this is a podcast. <laughs> I'm so delicious. I'm just saying our names. Oh, okay, I don't know what's funny about that. And this is a podcast where we discuss and review the latest movie releases. We're going to start off with a non-spoiler review before diving into a deep discussion of the film. And then we are going to ask the most important question. Uh, would this movie be better if the alien from Predator was in it? This week... Should you choose to accept it? I was trying to figure oh. out how to work this in. We yeah. will be reviewing Mission Impossible uh, 7 Dead Reckoning Part 2. They don't say the 7 in the Part title, 1. Part 1. <laughs> Part 1. We are not from the future. Thank you. Before we get into it, we have some news. SAG Astra. Fuck it. SAG Astra has yeah. gone on strike. So originally the Writers Guild was on strike, uh, and now the actors are striking. Um, good. Let's good for them. Good. Fight back those Hollywood executive brutes. Yeah, I just I saw I heard recently that you know how the CEO had said like, oh, our plan is to wait until like they lose apartments and stuff. And in response to that, the fund that like supports artists who are striking, like writers and actors and stuff got like incre- like the funding for that increased like tenfold like they just got like so many donations like as a direct result of that um and so that's pretty cool it's very funny that they're picking a fight with people who like historically have always struggled and have had to work yeah. several part-time jobs yeah and, like, <laughs> like the writers are like this is like like not working that's our norm what do you like you guys are the one who are fucked the fact that all of us are now not working like you're not getting new content without actors they can't film new stuff with writers maybe they could have written some really shitty scripts but you you can't you can't do anything without actors yeah um and there was also some news about what the new it was the reason why the actors are striking is because they, there was going to be a new contract signing. It occurred around the, the signing of the new contract. And the proposal from the studios was that they were going to scan background actors, their, their yeah. like likeness, what they look like, their bodies, and just use their image in perpetuity and only pay them for a single day of work and then yeah. just never hire them again because they'll just digitally insert them in the background of shots. That is like... Insane minority report kind of like yeah. bullshit sci-fi. It, it, I, it's also like that's crazy. The the people on site who are already treated pretty badly in general yes. like are now just not gonna have jobs in the future because of AI. Like that's not that's it's, not good. Yeah, it's not great. <laughs> Peter, do you have any thoughts about the the SAG-AFTRA strike? Well, I mean, I think it's just um, you know it's a bad situation for everyone and also one thing i want to mention is it's kind of interesting because um some productions are actually still going forward because uh, they are mainly non-american actors which are not part of say right. apparently mm-hmm. are still going forward. like house of the dragon yeah yeah, yeah. that's the yeah. one that came to mind when i was uh, uh looking at these but honestly like you know i think um it's a terrible situation for everyone and uh, hopefully when the new deal comes to place um the like the one big topic is residual checks. I hope you know, just like people are getting more support when they're in between jobs, especially for writers, uh, actors as well, and uh, you know, and uh, having the writers' room to be cut down to you know, 
originally it was like for the whole production now it's just pre-production it's really bad for talent development and also you know like we sort of see it as the the quality of writing sort of deteriorates in the past couple of years and that's probably one of the reason why just like new writers are getting less training compared to the old ones so yeah hopefully it gets resolved soon though because dude no one wants to lose their apartment and like that's such a shitty way to you know to make one side compromise yeah and i think honestly the release that they gave about uh like letting it drag on they said they had no intention of negotiating for months and the end game was letting it drag on until they start losing their homes i i honestly think that's like a posturing thing and like it's actually like if you think about it it's actually kind of like small dick energy to be like to put out a statement about that sort of thing because it yeah. just shows that like you have no fortifications like you will not last longer than they will so you're resorting to like propaganda basically and just fear mongering like, like th- yeah fear mongering because they know that and also Zebra thought I think that the reason why this is so important is because there's almost certainly some like fraud going on in the streaming era so I have a really good feeling that like part of the reason they don't want to reveal anything is because like there are like illegal activities like lying to shareholders about the truth of streaming oh, sure yeah streaming numbers are just complete bullshit very obscured and yeah i think if those ever get revealed streaming could crumble like in an instant because it's like i honestly don't know how streaming works it makes no sense to me um, actually you know you know what's interesting though um when i when um when warner bros was getting acquired by discovery um Pretty sure, like, the, one of the reasons why, I think it's AT&T, like, some big telecom company is selling Warner Bros. Um, the, one of the big things they were selling them is because Warner Bros. hasn't been profitable for a very long time. Like, it's been, like, in the loss for a very long time. And especially since, you know, the recent flops of the DCEU, I, I don't think the financial in the situation has improved. So, and it's, um, the it's finance fun. of the business is pretty interesting. And, uh, you know. But like CEO is still getting paid in buckets, so you know. <laughs> yeah, that yes, that is true. They're still yeah. getting like crazy pay, and it's yeah. it's absurd that they think that's okay that they can just do this, and they're like, yeah, yeah I'll just take home hundreds of thousands of dollars every year, and like, yeah. I deserve that more than that's that. Crazy. Yeah. Uh, well, no, no, not hundreds of thousands. We're talking in millions. Millions. Yeah, like yeah, I, yeah, I yeah. can't even like. Well, that's the thing. I can't even imagine the scale. Like, people, most people get paid under a hundred K a year, some people get paid between a hundred and two hundred, to then like increase that factor by ten. Like yeah, what are they doing? Are they shitting gold bricks? No, like, actually I, I was thinking about this the other day. Like if you are unable to live like on under two hundred K and that's already a crazy amount of money, then you are pathetic. Like yeah. that is you are a pathetic person. That is that is the the demon that is capitalism, um, mm-hmm. but also it's interesting. Peter mentioned um, something about the business, but like all the movies that have been coming out recently, the big blockbusters cost hundreds of millions of dollars, and they're all flopping. And it's almost like maybe that's not a good business model to make movies that are so expensive that are also really bad. 
maybe make cheaper movies that are good. Have we tried this yet? And and keep good movies in theaters. Like Asteroid City was which yeah. was doing well and selling out theaters consistently. Like hit streaming services so early. Like that's I don't Weeks. understand how is that profitable? Like how is that a good business model? That you know what's crazy movie. though? I was uh, I was on Twitter and uh Apparently, Secret Invasion, the the limited series that's airing on Disney Plus right now, costs over two hundred million dollars to make. And guess how much uh, Mission Impossible costs? This the new one. Oh, this is interesting. I, I have no idea. I think it was less than that. It was. It was I a, think I'm pretty sure it was around two hundred million as well, which is kind of crazy when you think about it. Like a I Disney have two hundred ninety one million. Yeah, so like it's you, like an yeah. eighty dollar, eighty million dollar difference, I think. Like, cause like I'm pretty sure the Secret Invasion one costs around two hundred ten million. Well, I just looked it up, and WandaVision was two hundred twenty five million. So this is, yeah, I think, so- for streaming for the streaming Marvel shows, like this, they've all been more or less. Around but isn't there. that crazy? Like, <laughs> it is crazy. That's a lot. But what, like, we're talking about like we're dissing Marvel here, but wasn't House of the Dragon the most expensive, right? Uh, or also like that like Citadel show on Amazon wasn't that like one of the most expensive shows ever made? Do you know, yes, do you know yes, what I'm yes, yes, about? yes. Maybe yeah. that's what I was thinking about. Citadel and the uh, Lord of the Rings thing, like all of yeah, them yeah, are just yeah. crazy expensive. Yeah. And uh, Monster of Dragon them, was 150 to 200 million. So yeah, it's still really expensive. So very expensive. Yeah. yeah. And I don't think they realize like. Those those shows aren't doing that well. Yeah, the fuck what? Case, but who watched but like, Citadel? Like, no one watched it? Citadel. People hated that show. It's this is crazy. But uh, speaking of the Flash and DC bad, what if DC yeah. good? James Gunn uh, has announced some. <laughs> what a some ca- I know. Actually, he didn't announce it. Someone else did. Um, new casting for the new Superman movie, Superman Legacy, uh, and. It's there's a bunch of heroes that are going to be in this first mm. chapter of the new DC universe. So we're getting Guy Gardner, who's going to be played by uh, James Gunn mainstay Nathan Fillion. Hot Girl is going to be played by Isabella Merced. Metamorpho, uh, who uh, not a super big character, but was big in um, I think Batman: Brave and the Bold, maybe, and some of the, mm. the animated series, uh, is going to be played by Barry's. Anthony Kerrigan, which is very cool, and Mr. Terrific is going to be played by Edie Gathegi, who you may recognize as Darwin from X-Men First Class. Um, so, interesting casting, yeah. but he, he was the guy whose power is um, evolution so that he could evolve to survive anything, and then he's the first to die. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Because yeah, that yeah, makes right. sense. Wait, so yeah. is he a uh, bad guy or a good guy? He was a good guy. He was one of the, the team, but he doesn't last. He, he dies he, immediately. It's, it's like when they're when they're in like the Pentagon or whatever, and then he dies, right? No, they're they're in their home. They're in their base, oh, and right. the, the oh, villains like attack them where they, they live. No, it's crazy. Um, oh. I just wanted to mention this news because... I think it's really interesting that they're starting this world, this new world, and it, immediately they're introducing four classic heroes who I don't think any of them have been in the movies before mm. at is all. Is Guy Gardner Green Lantern? 
He is a Green Lantern. He might have been in okay. the Ryan Reynolds Green Lantern. I'm not sure. He's okay. the redhead, the the ginger one, okay. who is like, kind of like a, a douchebag sometimes. <laughs> um, but I, yeah, no, I just I just think it's really cool that we're James Gunn has always been someone who looks for the characters that the the less trodden path. Uh, yeah. And also, I think it's really interesting that this Superman movie is going to be. Maybe not an ensemble movie, but it's going to be open to the world of heroes. Where if you think about like Iron Man, or even like later down the line, most of those like solo films don't have other yeah. heroes. And it took a while for Marvel to start doing that. And I think it's cool. Right out of the gate, they're gonna. The world feels bigger than just Superman. I think, well, yeah, I think there's a sense of urgency to establish everything, and so I'm, part of me is kind of wary of that, because it also feels a little bit like the thing they tried to do, like, a decade mm-hmm. ago, when it was like, that we're just true. gonna, we're just gonna immediately introduce everything, like, and so, I don't know, I mean, I mean, having a lot of heroes, it's not like, recent times has proven that you can write a good movie that features a lot of characters and balances a lot of things, but I do... I have some trepidation towards this. I think that's a that's a valid take. I I felt the same way when they said the authority would be the bad guys of the Superman film because it seems like that might be the the Loki or the Thanos of Phase One of their oh. Chapter One Gods and Monsters. Um, they're getting their own movie after, but they're starting out. And some of them will be the antagonists of the Superman film. And that had me going like, what are we, what's going on there? They're not even like, they're not even Superman villains, uh, if I recall correctly. They're actually from a different comic book company that acquired them. So, not sure how I feel about that. But, you know what would uh, be crazy? What if it's a Suicide Squad situation and like half of these heroes get killed off <laughs> immediately in the, in the movie? Uh... I hope not. I I would like to see some of them live. Like I like Metamorpho. <laughs> he's cool. I always liked Metamorpho in the the series that I mentioned. And Mister Terrific is like one of the one of the few like black superheroes. And to just kill him off immediately, like it, it would be super disrespectful. I think uh, he did. He was around for a while in the Arrow the Arrowverse, but uh, to see him in the movies would be cool. Uh, Trailer Park? Trailer Park. Does what? A trailer can. No, that doesn't make sense. No, keep going. No, I like this. No. No. This is this would not end up in the episode. <laughs> this is getting cut. No, it's no it's not. That's not good. <laughs> Yo, what is this? <laughs> like, that's like um it's the Ben Ten meme where the guy goes, No, I sense I've made a mistake. That's <laughs> you, Peter, right now. <laughs> Uh, so that's our new theme song for the trailer park, actually. No more Go zoom Peter. zooms. <laughs> Go, Peter. What? You have Go, to sing the theme it. song. Oh, my God. Dude, the things I do for you, man. Fucking hell. Trailer park? Trailer park. Does it want a trailer park? Oh my God. I can't. Great. I can't, I can't do a trailer park. So we got two trailers oh for you God. this week. First up, Wonka, the prequel. I can't even do this. The prequel movie to Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Not Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Maybe we should remember that. 
uh, starring Timothy Chalamet. Um, and it is a musical about how Wonka got his start as a young boy. A young boy. I have to be honest, this looks terrible. I don't want to watch it. I do think this. it looks bad. I actually, I think some some of it looks kind of quirky and fun. I like the moment when the light turns on above him and he has an idea. I like that. Uh, but I, I, I don't understand why you do this because I get the idea of like making an IP movie, but like, who the fuck cares about this? <laughs> like, like who was who was pining after a new Wonka movie? Who was pining after a new Charlie and the Chocolate Factory movie at all? And then who was looking specifically for a Wonka prequel? Like, I need to. I feel like a lot of the allure of that character is that like he's kind of mysterious and kind of. Like, he, he's almost, like, a little bit sadistic, and, like, you don't know exactly, like, what he's doing, so I don't understand why you do this. It, it's very much like, um, I just had it in my head. It was, I think it's, I think the, the best example I have is Solo, where it's, like, it's a character where I actually preferred not to know his backstory. It works yeah. better if there's an air of mystery of where he came from, or just yeah. even, like, ambiguity I don't need to know. That's one of those things like like characters can have implied backstory and that's often more interesting than actually seeing it. And this was yeah. definitely not a character I needed to know how he found the Oompa Loompas played by Hugh Grant. And <laughs> how Willie became Wonka. Like, that's, it's just so silly. Uh, to, to be Timothy, honest though, the, uh, Hugh Grant was the highlight, to be honest, of the trailer. Was he? He actually yeah, does to, seem. To me, he I seems mean, like he's kind of funny in it. I will. I. Would, I think there will like, be I some funny bits. I thought that was perfectly casted. You know, Hugh Grant. Mm-hmm. Uh, I. I. In speaking of perfect casting, I have to say that Timothy Chalamet, I think, was a miss. Where, like, I think he's a good actor. I've. I've turned around. I used to be a hater, but I don't think this was the role he was mm-hmm. meant to play. If I. You I know, absolutely like, agree. Yeah. He doesn't have the yeah. like the magical whimsy of Gene Wilder, or even like honestly Johnny Depp. I think did a better job than than this. Yeah, I I will say like the only ver- the only way I could see his performance working is that like if it's supposed to be that like he hasn't sunk into the role yet, like mm. that he hasn't sunk into the role of being magical whimsical guy, and like because when he does the like the the quirky whimsy thing like it looks weird in the trailer looks off but like the only way i can see it working is if is if that's the idea that it's supposed to look like a little off like he's not there yet but that's Uh, a bit of a stretch so it is a bit of a stretch i don't know people were saying on twitter um it's the it's specifically the line strike it reverse it that just feels like does not have does not channel the same energy as the previous version so he goes he's saying something and he goes strike that reverse it and someone noted that it looks like he actually had a different train of thought and that's what led him to say strike it reverse it whereas in the original it was more like they said the voice of whimsy like like the voice (laughs) of whimsy whispered in his ear and then and like as silly as that sounds like it's absolutely true it does look like he's doing a grounded performance of a realistic character that's not who Wonka is that's not so yeah yeah I don't know it doesn't look uh, quite appealing to me uh, we so. have another trailer for Napoleon 
Uh, I don't know why I said it like that. Ridley Scott's <laughs> yeah, they, epic. They're not even talking in French accents in the movie. They are not. He does not. <laughs> Ridley Scott does not give a shit about accents. Um, so apparently, like a lot of filmmakers have been trying to do a Napoleon movie, and he's like the first one to get it across the finish line. I think wasn't Kubrick one of them, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, maybe. Um, and it stars Joaquin Phoenix, uh, and. I don't know. It looks. I think it looks all right. I, I'm, I'm there's some really cool shots in. in the trailer. There's some that yeah. they look. There's there's one high angle in particular that looks like like a Renaissance painting, and like that's really that's really cool. So, I don't know. I saw a lot of people going really hard about the desaturated sort of color palette. Yeah. And I think that that's an example of Twitter, like just. Film Twitter, like, mutually agreeing on, like, a hot-button topic of, like, vibrance good, desaturated bad. And I understand why they think that, because it's coming from, like, a reaction to, like, Marvel movies and shit. And, like, just a trend of movies that for no reason are, like, desaturated. But at the same time, it can be a stylistic choice. Like, it's not Mm -hmm. wrong to make a movie that looks like that. And I I think it's silly to just be, like... They, they didn't do color and vibrance and, like, just be like, oh, man. Like, I, I just think that's a silly reaction, and I saw a little bit of that. Yeah, I don't know. I, I'm i kind of on team contrast. <laughs> like, I think... Well, it's not contrast. It's just, it's the saturation of the color. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, like, I was watching the trailer, and I was like, this doesn't look great. Like just visually um and i think i think that's part of it i think just like like comparing his earlier work to his later work there is kind of like a difference in the the palette this is a more modern palette and i think but i like you know i don't care for it personally but i think some of it looked really good though and so like i my thing is like maybe the movie comes out and it's wrong and it didn't look good but i just think like Mm. It's not like, inherently there's, bad. There's, yeah, it's not inherently bad, and there's not enough to go after it too much, I don't think. Yeah. I also saw people saying, like, like someone someone described it as as being reminiscent of Barry Lyndon, which is a Kubrick film, and watching the trailer, I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, Barry Lyndon famously has, like, some of the best cinematography ever, and, like, shots will look literally like Renaissance paintings, Oh, it's that movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Like, it looks gorgeous. I I still have not seen it, and I really do want to watch that movie. Yeah, I haven't seen it either. I've just seen frames from it. I've been like, wow. Yeah. Yeah. And Napoleon just looks like an action epic. Like, that's like, the comparison is like not even close. Uh, Peter, did you watch this trailer? Yes, I did. And honestly. I was watching it with a bunch of uh, history buffs, and they were getting really excited because they're like, "Oh my god, I recognize that battle!" And I was just like, yeah, "Cool." Um, I mean, Holy shit, this Waterloo. <laughs> um, um, you know, it's it's cool. I think I think uh, really Scott's been doing like a lot of unique movies lately. Like you know, he did the Last Duel, and now he's doing Napoleon. So. Um, uh, I think you're know, forgetting from... House of Gucci. He also did House of oh, Gucci. Oh, yes, he did do that. I guess Sorry, he's just, like, bouncing it. back and forth between, like, modern stuff and then, like, historic stuff. But, you know, it's cool. Well, 
I definitely prefer this over like Alien Covenant and shit, which is like Alien. I don't know if you guys saw Alien Covenant, but that was that is like one of the worst movies I saw. I've seen in the theaters in the past like decade, so it's very bad. So I, yeah. I'm glad that like I'm glad that we're away from that because after Prometheus and Alien Covenant, I don't know if I as good as the first Alien is, I don't know if I want Ridley Scott in Alien right now because i just don't he's just been doing some bad stuff with it yeah this is actually this is good to talk about because i i wasn't sure what he had done previous to the last duel in house of gucci so in 2017 he had done alien covenant and a movie called all the money in the world never heard oh of yeah yeah no that was the movie where there were two movies that came out about the same thing like around uh, or right around the same time where it was about i i, for, I think clint eastwood rich. did another one or something it's, a, it's from a book, Painfully Rich, The oh. Outrageous Fortunes and Misfortunes of the Heirs of J. Paul Getty. Yeah, I think there were two movies that came out about it around mm. the same time. Uh, but before that was 2015's The Martian, one of his better ones, I think. Uh, he did Exodus, yeah, Gods and Kings, The Counselor, Prometheus, 2010's Robin Hood starring Russell Crowe. So it's actually <laughs> interesting. Like He really is a hit and miss filmmaker you know you sometimes have legends who have like like a straight track record that is not really scott <laughs> he's no. got but some, his his highs are very films. high though yeah blade yeah. runner alien um yeah. velma and louise i haven't seen it yet but gladiator um he's got some really good movies but uh not all of them uh i think that takes us out of the trailer park and into the movie information uh, station nice. So, we watched Mission Impossible 7, Dead Reckoning Point Part 1. 7 is Point not one. in the title, though. Uh, yeah, so this was That's written and directed That's actually the full title. By... The last bit after Part 1 is 7 isn't in the title, though. Because we both said it now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so if, if, if you go to the theater this weekend, make sure to say to, the, say to the person at the front that you're looking for a ticket for Mission Impossible 7, Dead Reckoning, but 7 isn't in the title. Say that again. part one, yeah. Um, but yeah, this was directed by Christopher McQuarrie. It's written by uh, same fella, as well as Eric Gendrison. might be Henderson, I'm not sure. Uh, produced by Tom Cruise and Christopher McQuarrie, starring Tom Cruise, Haley Atwell, Ving Rhames, Simon Pegg, Rebecca Ferguson, uh, Vanessa Kirby, Asai Morales, Palm Clementiev, uh, Mariella Gariga, and Harry... Henry Cherney? Cherney? I'm not sure how you say that. I'm sorry. Uh, Cinematography by Fraser Taggart. Uh, It was produced, distributed by Paramount Pictures, released on June 19th, 2023 in Rome, but July 12th uh, in the United States. Runtime is 163 minutes, and budget was $291 million, and the box office is so far only $122.5 million. But the weekend is still young, and I think I think it'll do. Quite oh yeah, I guess I guess it hasn't hit weekend yet, has it? Like not really. Well, this is the weekend. Months. This is the weekend. Oh, this yeah. is it, right? Yeah, yeah. So I forgot. So yeah. I literally thought it was like Wednesday or something. I'm sorry. Well, and it's crazy because it opened on Monday for us. We we could right. have seen it as early as July 10th, which is crazy. Um, yeah. But now now it is time for the game. We have a game called Predacritic. Uh, there's a website on the internet called Metacritic, and we are going to guess where Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning, Part 1, uh, the seventh thing, uh, lands <laughs> in the metric of Metacritic. Is it a good score? Is it a bad score? We are going to guess. So 
first up I've spun the wheel is unfortunately myself. I Ooh. I don't really know where it's gonna land. I have you know what? Actually I feel pretty good about I guess. I'm gonna go with seventy five. Dude, I was gonna guess. Save seventy five. Yeah, I was gonna guess <laughs> right there too. Next next is is I should have spun this earlier. Aiden. Aiden is going next. Okay, I got to play um, the game. Yeah, I'm gonna go I need to go a little bit higher, I think. And if I'm trying to metagame a little bit, I think Peter might go lower than that. That's just the vibe I'm getting. Um, and so I don't know if I need to go too much higher. I think I might just go... Hmm. I'll go 79. Because I think, I think it might have been higher. And Peter, what do you think? Sorry, what, what was Aiden's score again? 79. 79. 79 75. Okay, I'm... I don't want to summarize this movie. <laughs> yeah, neither do I. I'm going to go with a very safe one. I'm going to go with a 76. Sure. That's fair. Damn you. Yeah. Well, it is in fact higher. Uh, maybe too high, but maybe it's better than I thought. It has an 81 right now. It is Whoa, a must. That's it is crazy. a that's, C movie. That is where I would put it for my personal score around there. That's Interesting. Great. Okay, it's I I don't know. Maybe I need to reevaluate it. I thought it was like, well, we'll get into it. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about it. our we'll opinions. But when I was looking it up, I got really distracted because the Metacritic says who the movie stars, and it's not. It's obviously not in order of. Oh, it's in alphabetical order by first name. I think, which is oh. very, which is a very strange choice. And first up is Angela Bassett. She's, is she in it? She was oh, not she's in this six. She was yeah, <laughs> yeah. she was the she was CIA, CIA director in definitely six. Definitely not yeah. in this movie. So that's kind of funny to me. Uh, but uh, now that we've done our predator critic score, uh, Aiden has won the game. He got closest to the actual score. He's gonna give us his non spoiler reaction. What did you think of Mission Impossible uh, seven, Dead Reckoning Part One, except seven is not in the title. Right. Uh, so um I will say, I went into this movie, uh, I think Mission Impossible 6 is one of the greatest theatrical experiences I've ever had. I love that movie. It, I will get into it, but like, I think it's just, it's like the most awesome scene you can dream of, followed by the most awesome scene you can dream of, dream of and it just rides that train to the end of the movie. It's insane. And so going into this, one of my big expectations was, particularly on the stunt work, and I was like, what are the action set pieces going to be like? Because in 6, com like you have, you have the fighting scenes, which are so fucking good and so visceral and so tight. And then you also just have like in like just really thrilling like chases and stuff like that. And I will say that this movie kind of lacked those things for me. I was really waiting for just a really good stunt work like or action set piece that just really worked for me. But there were... So, for example, the, the car chase... Um, with Haley Atwell and Tom Cruise when they're handcuffed, fun idea. I like that in concept, but I just think the execution, it just, it winds up like, it gets started and then it stops. And then it gets started and it stops and it doesn't feel like it has the drive that I feel like it needs. And But there are, in fairness, there are certain points, there were certain stunts that like really, really did work for me. Like, uh, like I like held my breath when he first jumped off the cliff. I didn't like the finale to that stunt, but like, that was cool. And so, like, there were definitely parts where I was like, this is really cool. It just didn't live off to me on that level. However, 
the things that I was not looking for in this movie wound up being very cool. For one, I think the plot is very interesting. I think this is actually, like... Like, so so much about the Mission Impossible franchise is about paranoia and deception and artifice and not knowing what's real. And to the way that they have extended and extrapolated on that idea in this new one, very interesting. And the way they have matched that with a visual style that is kind of reminiscent to the first one in some ways. Uh, but then also, like, an editing style that works really well where they're always, like, breaking 180. And it's it's really interesting. And it's, like... Like, I, there were definitely points where I thought I did not know what was real at any point in this movie. And I was like, oh, this could do this. And, like, I, I was very much on my toes. And so I think, like, the story's super interesting. And a lot of the filmmaking, I think, is really great, too. It's bizarrely, it's the parts that I was looking for, that I was excited for, where I think the filmmaking actually dips off a little bit. And it's not as interesting anymore. Um, that being said, there are still some stunt and action set pieces that I quite liked, just not as much as six. So I give this four stars. I would recommend this to everyone. I think it's a sick movie. This is still one of my favorite franchises, I would say. Nice. Uh, Peter, what did you think about this movie? Okay. All right. <laughs> Here we go. So um, I, I was actually talking to Alex about this. And, we were, and I was saying, this year had a lot of movies that I know is going to be good going in. And it's probably going to be good when I come out as well. Um, and unfortunately, this is a miss for me. Um, I absolutely agree with Aiden that compared to six, this is just downgrades in so many degrees. And um, to be honest, like my opinion about the plot is actually like the concept itself is very interesting, but but the execution of it just lacks significantly in many degrees, in my opinion. And we'll get into it when we get to spoilers. Um, in my opinion, this is one of the worst when it comes to pacing in a in a Mission Impossible film. There are so many pauses during like big action set pieces that's just not like you're supposed to drive the hype to a climax, but like unfortunately this is just a roller coaster that's just stopping and going, stopping and going. So it's just not satisfying in a lot of big moments. And um, a lot of the big moments that they actually set up in the trailers and uh, in the featurettes actually did not pay off the way that they sort of hoped, they, they, uh, that they hyped them up to be. Um, and like overall, I think it's just um, uh, a, a mediocre Mission Impossible entry, in my opinion. Um, I think uh, uh, 6 is still by far the best, but like this one does not live up to 6, especially since 6 is literally the last entry. Um, yeah, well, it's hard because 6 is one of the greatest movies. Yeah, 6 ever. was... Great. Six so, was just so yeah. good. Um, yeah. I, I gave it a three, three out of five. I like, unfortunately, like I was really hoping this would be a good one. Hopefully like the mission impossible eight, which apparently might be the last one, um, can uh, redeem this, uh, this mission impossible seven. But, uh, I think I would still recommend people to see it. I think it's still like one of these things that you will have a good time in the cinema, but it might not necessarily live up to your hype. So, Nice. Yeah. Yeah, I think <clears throat> I think this is going to be one of those movies where we are more or less in agreement, just maybe different shades of agreement and sure. degrees of how much we liked and disliked, but all kind of like a general samey consensus. So, um I think here's my hot take. I think this is as a film 
maybe the best of the Macquarie series. I think it is the best cinematography. I think he's actually like trying something. Like like there's a very specific thing he's doing in this movie uh, sure. from a visual standpoint that I admire. Um, and I think the story is quite strong. Uh, but I think from a Mission Impossible standpoint, this is not his strongest. I think this is the weakest of the Macquarie series. So it's kind of at odds with itself in that, like Aiden said, there's just no stunts in this. There's the one. that's And like, sure, there are like smaller stunts. There's your car chase and there's some leaping about in uh, a train. Um, but it's really just like the driving off the cliff part that like, but like that's why I'm there, you know. I'm going to see a Mission Impossible to see him do crazy things, and there just wasn't enough of that for me. And actually, what Peter said about the pacing, I think, was really insightful. I think this is the classic uh, issue with the part one, part two uh, kind of uh, organization of a, of a movie. Uh, and we we'll talk about this further later, but um, yeah, it just feels like. It's not quite as bad as Spider-Verse, where it really did feel like a bloated first half. This, I think, felt more like a complete movie. But just, they're all just so long. And they don't need to be, not, in order to be a serious movie, I feel like nowadays, sometimes they think it has to be two and a half hours, or why am I going? And I don't don't think that's necessary. I think you you can trim the fat a little bit. But in terms of, like, experience watching the movie... There were some times where I was like actually quite tense and was like, I was impressed. I was like, oh, you've actually really riled me up here. And I'm like, I don't know what's going to happen. Um, uh, what else can I say? I don't know. I, I have some small issues I'll, I'll nitpick about. I love the homages to one, to the first film. There's some returning characters. There's some, uh, and then stylistic and structural similarities. And um, what else can I say? Oh, I guess. I don't really want to talk about it too much, but the villain is an interesting idea. And it may or may not work perfectly, but I like that we're trying something new. So I would definitely recommend people go see this. I think maybe I'm about a four. I could also see a 3.5, but uh, I haven't written my review, so I haven't decided yet. Uh, But now that with all that out of the way, I do actually need a spoiler warning. Pew, 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 wee, woo, wee, woo. Thank there you go, spoiler you, warning. Yep, you know what that means. I have to summarize this lengthy movie in two minutes. Fantastic. Uh, yeah. I honestly don't know if I remember what happens. But we will try. I will try my best. Here we go. Three, two, one, go. So there's a submarine, and it has an AI, and it blows itself up because AI says so. There's two keys you need to operate the AI. That's important. Mission Impossible. Tom Cruise... Uh, uh, signed up mission has to go find his girlfriend Ilsa she's being hunted down he finds her in desert and she's defending herself looks like she dies oh no cut to uh, some government thing they're kind of worried about this AI guy who is infiltrating governments and just kind of like being a threatening presence but not doing anything there's a security council of a bunch of heads of organizations. Anyways, Kittredge is there. He's from Mission Impossible 1, and he was IMF guy. And Tom Cruise is very obviously in the room the whole time <laughs> in the, with this guy who looks like he's wearing a mask. That's his normal face, though. 
Um, and he 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 kidnaps. No, I don't. no he doesn't kidnap Kittredge. He he gets mad at Kittredge because he thinks Ilsa's dead. Psych, Ilsa's not dead. We reveal that instantly. Uh, there's a mission. He has to go find this AI. Um, they go to a place. Oh oh, uh, there's an airport. They go to an airport. They're trying to steal a key. They have to find these keys. And Haley Atwell is there. She steals the key first. Um, there's a bomb. Oh god, this is gonna suck. Benji uh, almost gets a bomb. Uh, he's okay though. Uh, key. Fuck. Uh, Haley Atwell escapes, goes to Rome. Tom Cruise finds her in Rome. Um, everyone goes to Rome. There's a big car chase, and uh, uh, there's a guy from Tom Cruise's past, Gabe, and he's working with the AI, and so is Paris Pom Clementiev, and White Widow's there, and she wants the key. I don't know. They all end up on a train. And the key, and Kittredge tries to buy the key for the government, and Tom Cruise has to jump off a cliff to join the train, and they get the key in the end. They nab it from Gabe, who gets away, but thinks he's won, and he doesn't have the key. He's been tricked. Pickpocketing rules in this movie. That that was yeah. terrible. This is a very um, hard movie to summarize. Yeah, there's there's like a whole middle section that isn't mentioned, but in fairness, in party, I don't... Yeah. I don't know exactly. <laughs> I could tell you exactly what happened during that section. Either, Ilsa dies. I forgot. Ilsa does Ilsa die. Yeah. Die. <laughs> I, I totally forgot. That was kind of important. Right. Uh, but I think I think other than that, small detail. That's, I think that's, yeah, that's. Oh, and I guess Haley Atwell joins the team. That was yes. kind of obvious from the beginning, but uh, she does they, join they the they impossible do Convince her to join. Yes. The oh, impossible I. Mm -hmm. I, I really quickly want to say the guy that Ethan is pretending to be the mask he's wearing uh, during the scene where he like where he's talking to Kittrich. It looks like the meme. Well, it's not a meme, but like, you know, the picture of the guy who is like um, first day of joining fighting in World War One versus after fighting in World War One. He looks like the after picture in that, and it's actually like it's insane. Oh, no, way. no, I've definitely That's seen crazy. that before, but I I haven't. I Soldier don't, I don't before and after World War One. It might be World War Two. Hold on, I think it's World War One though. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You like share it in the share it in the chat. Yeah. I can't find it. Yeah, he looks like the guy on the on the second. Uh, hold on. Like it was really funny because immediately. I, you clock this guy, and he's obviously, like, like with the editing, it's implied that this is a scary guy. We need to watch out for what's happening here, but it's not clear. But also, like, just the construction of his face, he looks normally like he is a man wearing another man's face on his as a mask. Yeah. I will say, though, I actually did not know he was Ethan immediately. I, I was like, that's clearly a guy pretending to be a guy, but I didn't know exactly who it was. At that yeah, I, I didn't know for sure who it was, but... Um, there he is. Okay, there. The yeah, he does. <laughs> <laughs> he really does look like that guy. So look up, look up, soldier before and after fighting World War One. And that's not a meme. It's um. It's like not it's a meme. No. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. <laughs> uh, all right. So you know what time it is. What was your favorite part, Peter? Hmm. Yeah. I okay. I'll start with a short one again, and then hopefully we can do another round. And I'll get to my long one. I sure. really love the intelligence office scene, yes. which was um, him with a mask yeah. uh, going yeah, in to fire. talk to Kittredge, and then ended up gassing the entire room. Like, first of all, the mask looks so cool, by the way. And then yeah. second, it's just like, 
him not saying a single word the entire time. And then Kittredge, as soon as he opens the box, he knows what, what the fuck's about to go down. And then the most badass, like, mask reveal, uh, you know, in, 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 I mean, there are a lot of good ones in Mission Impossible. I, I really like this one. Um, just, like, the whole execution of it, and especially, because uh, this scene was featured in the trailers. Because I, I thought this is, like, supposed to be government officials getting assassinated by gas. But it's actually them just getting put to sleep. So, you know. By, by it's yeah, hype scene hunt. and uh, good uh, the aesthetic is really cool. So. Yeah, I think that this scene is emblematic of the strongest parts of this movie. Which is, like, honestly, like, the cinematography, directing, and just general tone established in just conversation scenes. I think, like, they're, they are the best scenes in the movie. It's, like, just the ones where it's just intrigue and paranoia and deception, like, and the scene is set up so well, because we already know about the AI entity by this point. Um, and so it's, like, this idea of this omniscient, omnipresent thing that could be anywhere. Like, you automatically, like, you have, you don't know what this guy is, and he might not even be a real guy. Like, it might be, like, a, it might be like a robot or something. Like, so at this point <laughs> yeah, in the movie, like... I yeah, thought maybe and, that was the case. Yeah, like, well, because he looks kind of like, like solemn and like not not humid. I don't want to roast this actor too much. It's just yeah, it's true. the way they've like presented him too. But like, anyway, um, yeah, but like, the, yeah, the I love the the Dutch angles work really well for me in this movie. Um, oh, yeah, the Dutch angles work really well for me in this movie. I think that they function really well in um. It's not it's not non-continuity editing, but it's a type of editing that is constantly breaking the 180 degree rule. And so it's like this idea of like shifting alliances and shifting trust and shifting deception like and you never really know exactly who to trust. You never you don't get to see people from the same angle. There's also the great detail of in one of Tom Cruise's in one of Ethan's singles when he's talking about Ilsa um uh but, but, but like Ilsa is on the background in on the screen and so like it's yes. just a really good image um yeah, and it's yeah, like yeah. it's it's edited they edit that part in a really effective moment so yeah i would say all in all i love this scene as well yeah no this this scene might have been my favorite in the entire movie it's so awesome um let's see what what can i say uh the visual style is fantastic this is like i like your choice of words for paranoia and i think this is a really good example of how the movie is giving homage to the first one. Mm -hmm. Uh, The first film was very, uh, it was about paranoia in that film as well. And Ethan Hunt was on the run thinking he was, there was like a mole hunt and he didn't know who to trust. Yeah. And so there's a similar vibe to this movie where he's, it's not that he doesn't know where to trust, but there's this omniscient force how do you defeat that? And so I like that we're bringing back the paranoia and with it, the visual style of interesting, like high and low angles and characters, characters faces being framed on like, like strange or like, like on the extreme ends of the frame. So like on the far yeah. left or far right. Uh, and I love Kittredge just like that actor. I love, I think his, his name is Henry Cizerny or something. Um, yeah. And just like when he says like, you need to pick a side. Like I just love his line readings. That that um the shot you were talking about with Ilsa in the background. I was like, oh yeah. my god, that's so fucking amazing. Yeah. Um, and yeah, the cast in that room also. 
I will say, is stacked. That is a stacked yeah. cast of it had Matthew people. Matthew Modine so, in there. Oh, no, so, no, Carrie Elwes. Sorry, I confused Yeah, you. so Carrie Elwes, who is, um, I think he was Princess Bride, if he I'm was. not mistaken. So he's Princess he Bride, Princess is, Bride. and he's in, he's in more of the movie later. It's also in Stranger for, Things. I did not know that. But for, for characters who are just in this scene, we have Rob Delaney, who I think is Twitter famous, but also was, uh, he, I think he was in Deadpool. Well, that's really what I know him from, is he was in Deadpool yeah. 2. Uh, we have Charles Parnell, who was in Top Gun, Maverick. I think he was in both, but I'm not sure. We have Indira Varma, who was in Game of Thrones. And we have Mark Gaddis, who was in Sherlock as Mycroft Holmes. So, like, literally everyone in that room, famous actor, I was just like, whoa, and like we, we do all the cuts to their clothes. I was like, oh, I know you. Yeah. I know you. I know you. <laughs> yeah. awesome. That's a great scene. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, that scene's awesome. Peter, do you have anything for, for that scene? Like, no, but I have another scene, but I'll, I'll, hold, I'll hold just for now. And I'll, okay. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll hear what you guys need to say. Actually, wait, whose scene was this for this? This is my scene. Like oh yeah, okay. That's why I'm getting confused. So, uh, yeah, yeah. what was what was Aiden's favorite part then? I don't know my favorite, but I love the whole airport sequence a lot because I think it also yeah, let's ex- talk about it, that. Yeah, it it uh it really expands upon the idea of paranoia too. It's the introduction of like anything that we're seeing could potentially be not real. I love the idea of Gabe being like it written out of reality in real time like that's yeah. and he's just like he is effectively a ghost like that using ai and technology they've created a ghost and that's really interesting um i love that like this idea of like and we'll get into this more but like they're fighting god like that is essentially what's happening yeah. like ethan hunt the manifestation of destiny has to does has to see if he can um like if he can outpace the story that's being written for him by an omniscient being, like, and yeah. that's so fucking, that's such an awesome, like, I, I think you guys may, maybe have different ideas of how it's executed. I actually think it's executed super well in this movie. And I, I think this scene is just like, it's just a great example of like, it expe- it extends the suspicion and paranoia, not only to people, but just like to the actions they're doing. Like, they can't trust anything they're doing because are they puppets being controlled by fate, a fate written by an evil AI, or are they actually, like, coming up against them in a meaningful way? And I think, like, yeah, I I think that this this scene is just really thrilling, and it's really... I I love all the twists and turns and all the different elements that go into it. I love the shot... Sorry, I know I'm rambling a little bit, but just one more thing. I love the shot um, when... The CIA agents don't know where Ethan is. And they're like, where could he be? And you see Ethan running on the rooftop in the background. Yes. That's yeah, that was so funny. <laughs> That's all I have to say for now. Yeah. So, so I agree with you that uh, this scene is executed really well, especially from like an AI angle. And I think this is one of the two times where this whole concept was executed well in this movie. Um, it was this time and also the other time where AI hacked their comms and was faking being Benji. Uh, but I thought like this one, you know, especially when Benji was diffusing the bomb, it's like, it's like, isn't like the, the bomb is like a puzzle, which is like, you know, like th- the fact that I'm answering these questions and I giving the AI more information so the AI can, you know, uh, simulate me better, you know, that, which yeah. is like, you know, do you, do you deal with the uh, immediate threat in front of you or do you 
do you sort of like by by sort of solving that problem you sort of create a bigger problem down the line because the ai knows you better now and can you know anticipate your decision better now to create a bigger trouble down the line so i thought like this whole sequence just amazing amazing uh tension and pressure from all sides you have the cia agents yeah. chasing after the ethan hunt you have uh benji literally diffusing what he thought to be a nuke and you have uh the buyer who literally got mur uh, murdered on the spot, Haley Abwell yeah. running away to go to Rome, and also this mysterious third party in Gabe and the entity also chasing after them. So I just thought like this whole scene is just a huge culmination of like all these parties coming together and Ethan really feeling the pressure and his team really feeling the pressure. And I thought that was just super well done. Yeah, and yeah. I'll I'll say like <clears throat> the Benji stuff was really stressing me out in the theater. I was like quite nervous for him, and I think also Simon Pegg just might be one of the MVPs of this movie. Honestly, I think he's always putting in a solid performance, and his like really panicked defusing a bomb scene. I think I think was just phenomenal. Yeah, um, I like yeah, yeah the absolutely. the. the the erasing Gabe in real time is a really neat idea. Uh, yeah, no, I I don't think I have to critique that even. Like I I I do think that's something that they haven't had to come up before, and I I think they do a lot of that in this movie is like things that they're not used to. I like that they fool the CIA by have like putting Ethan's face on other people. I think that was a yeah. really nice twist on the mask idea. Um, yeah, mm -hmm. and then yeah. like. Like, what I was going to say is my favorite part is Shea uh, Wingham pulling on Shea people's Wingham. real faces yeah. and, like, thinking it's a <laughs> I just love, like, yeah. we're playing with the lore, right? Like, these are people who know the IMF. And, yeah, I think I think there's um, there was something else where it's, like, like we, we know what a Mission Impossible movie is supposed to be. And we're going to, now we're kind of, like, at the point where we're poking fun uh, with, mm. to varying degrees of success, but... Uh, yeah, I think I think the airport sequence might have been my favorite sequence. Uh, I really like the sure, first yeah. part of this movie, the first half. I think. Exactly. Yeah, I that, that's I, I agree that the first well, half yeah. is a little stronger than the rest. But I also I just want to touch on you said that Simon Pegg gives a really great committed performance, and I think that's true. And I think that one of the things I actually really love about this movie is that I think you can tell that every actor is taking this like seriously. Like they, yes. it's not mm -hmm. like, like when you've gotten to like the seventh movie in a franchise, like it's, it, there's a potential for that to just be like a silly thing. Like, Oh, I'm doing the next mission impossible. Like, no, they all clearly care about this and like are trying. Like, I think every actor is giving a committed, great performance. I, I think like all of the performances are really fun in this movie. Absolutely. I think I think we've got a, a stacked cast that's been growing, and I think they yeah. they nail it again. Uh, and I think Peter, Kaylee Atwell's a great addition too. Okay, yeah, I actually disagree with that. Oh <laughs> no, I I like Kaylee Atwell for the record. Do we want to um, get into this now, or do we want well, to talk about later? Well, it seems like we're already here. So. Seems like we're there, buddy. <laughs> so okay. um, uh, let's well, hold on. Let's hear positivity first. So. I just want to hear if if Aiden has any other points about why Haley Atwell is great before Peter disses her, and then I'll. Okay, okay, no hate on the uh, actress, by the way. I just don't think right, the, right. the 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 character is correct. But sure. Okay, well, let me. Okay. Yeah, let him cook. Okay, so uh, I think. Okay, so I think the performance is really good. I think that like she just 
she does a really good job of just like you don't know exactly what she's feeling like she sometimes seems like very scared but then like there's also like there's an assurance there and you don't know what i like about the character and the performance is that like you don't really know what's going on in her head like she's clearly in some ways like a very like scared person like who's gone in over her head but on the other side side like she's clearly like utilizing that and deploying it in different parts like she's she's sometimes she's pretending to be fearful and and other things like that like no i i i really like her character i don't know it's hard for me to defend but i don't know what the complaints are so i'll say true i'll hear what you have to say peter i'll defend her from peter after but yeah okay okay all right so again like i think the performance is great the actress is great and the first half is generally great as well it's like um so we've seen this sort of like professional thief once before in Mission Impossible 2, and I honestly think this is a better execution of it compared to Mission Impossible 2. Uh, what I don't like about it is why you are introducing her in the seventh installment, and especially when the stake is higher than ever, especially in the second half where it's like, you know, it's totally understandable. She's brand new to the Mission Impossible world, and she, you know, she's literally like signing her life up for this you know, impossible mission. So it's reasonable and also it's realistic for her to be skeptical, to be scared. But also it's just like she, um, there were some really goofy and silly moments I wish didn't happen in the second half. Whether it's like during the chase, she's like, um, like, like really, really questioning. It's like, oh, you should drive. Oh, you, blah, blah, blah. Uh, um, or like at the very end, it's like, you're going to come and save me, right? You're going to come and save me, right? Like, it's like, I, that's totally reasonable, understandable for her character to do. But also, it's like, we're in the seventh installment and stake is higher than ever. I wish there was someone a little more, um, I guess, uh, more used to this sort of like uh, high stake setting. That's like, that instead of taking stake away by sort of doing this humorous, uh, like more comedy-esque interrupts. Um, and I'd rather for her to like build onto the story and be like an actual uh, helpful uh, person in the IMF team. I don't know. I don't know if I'm getting my point across, but like, I think like she's a little bit too goofy and like too much of a comedic relief in the second half. That's okay. my issue. So I, I see what your point is, but I think yeah. I think you've conflated two different things. I think I agree actually that there are. There was one particular moment that I thought strayed too far into comedy that felt out of place and um, just really random. But that mm-hmm. I don't think that's the character Grace's fault. As a character, and I mean, I think Haley Atwell is fantastic. Uh, also, side note, this, this is just I just remember this. At the end of the movie, there was there was a bunch of like guys behind me. I think they were younger than us, but yeah. they were like. Like after the movie, they're like, "Oh, that was so sick." They were like, "Hey, hey, guys, did you? That was that was Agent Carter. That was Agent Carter." <laughs> and then they're just like, like talking, like in Marvel movie terms, who everyone is. And I was like, "Oh my god, <laughs> I, I hate that." That's this is where we are as a society. But also, oh of course, god. anytime I right. see Haley Atwell, that's the first thing I'm thinking too. So I'm I'm also yeah. Marvel pilled. Anyways, the character. So I think that I I have some counterpoints to what you said. So you yeah. said the stakes are higher than ever. I think that's why it's actually a good stake-building technique to have someone on the team who does not know 
what's going on. They're an unknown variable who is making the mission harder because they don't know what they're doing and yeah. we need them, right? So also like just a factor of, this is a weird choice, but I, I'm not sure I love that they killed Ilsa. That's, we can talk about that, but we need a new team member, right? We've got the core, Benji, Ethan, and Ving Rhames, whatever his name is, uh, Luther. Luther's Luther. And we need, we need the fourth, and it needs to be a woman to, um, uh, to put the mask on to be White Widow. So we need her in the mission. And the fact that she's a rookie makes it so much more tense because she could screw up at any moment. Uh, and before, before she joins, I like that she's independent and she's always only looking out for herself. It makes, like I said, the stakes higher. Uh, she's kind of like erratic. You don't know what she's going to do. Last thing I'll say, I, I think as a series, as a franchise capper, I think it's interesting that we are revisiting Ethan's past, which really has never been talked about what happened before he joined. And it's mm. clear that he had a shady past, something to do with Gabe, and I'm sure it will be talked about in the next movie. But I have a feeling that uh, Grace, Haley Atwell's character, is going to be the, uh, like, is going to represent the old Ethan, right? So here she is a criminal who is joining the IMF. She is a young Ethan Hunt. So I think, yeah. I think it all comes together. I think there's a, a really strong purpose for why she's there uh, from a thematic and storytelling standpoint. Oh, that's all I'll say. Yeah, I, I, uh, I am complete, in complete agreement with you. I, I think that it completely raises the stakes. And I also like that she kind of goes on, she goes on a, an arc of being like an outlaw and being someone who is not belonging to any group to then embracing the group identity of IMF at the end. I think that that's yeah. a really, I, I really like that arc and I like that you see her go through that. And I like that she's, I think it's a good spin on the, the like spot professional thief thing that she's in over her head. Like, I think you might expect that character to be really cool and collected and never show yeah. anything, but I actually think it's really interesting that like, She's kind of clearly freaking out at different points in the movie, but she never feels like she's incompetent. She just feels like she's afraid and she's never done this. But then she proves herself, and I think that that's I, I quite like that. Yeah, it's I like what you said. She's in over her head because she's she's used to pickpocketing and maybe like heists, whereas right. this is like crazy. This is a crazy world that she's just like accidentally found herself in. Where, you know, people are talking about killing her. Like, I don't think she's ever had to deal with that before. There's, like, crazy cop chases. And, like, Palm Clementief is, like, chasing her with a gun and a huge Hummer. Like, like just maniacally laughing. Like, ha, 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 Right? Yeah. And then there's this whole train bullshit. Like, that's pretty fucking scary for someone who is basically a burglar. Right. Yeah. As far as I know, like I, I forget all of the. They flash a bunch of things that she's done in the past, but, um, why don't we talk about? I think this kind of flows nicely. Ilsa, we sure. can talk about what her, um, so so her arc in the the three movies, she's always, kind of doing the same thing. Uh, I think this this movie is the one where she's not doing quite the same thing, um, but, it's she's she's always a. She's the femme fatale of the, the Macquarie series. She is like 
Grace, looking out for her own interests, but is a spy also and is kind of like I don't know, she's she's Ethan's counterpoint. She's she's his his match. Um and I think it works really well in the first one. I think her character is really good in the first one. In the second one, they try to do the same thing. In Fallout, I should say. They try to do the same thing, but then she just kind of forgets all that and joins the team and is like, oh, whatever. I'll just join you guys. No. I like you guys. Yes! Whatever. No. Um, <laughs> well, she just stops trying to kill Guy. Anyways, and then in this because one... Because the plot develops it to be there. Whatever. Whatever. And in, in this one, she is, like, not unceremoniously killed off. But I I feel like there's a there's a there's a feeling I have where maybe McCoy didn't really know what to do with this character after the first one. I think the first one she is the most um, of a of a separate and unique character with a full arc, and every subsequent time I felt like he didn't really know what to do with her, and now he's created this situation where there are uh, and. This is all I'll say for this, but like there are three women for Ethan Hunt to choose from, right? like like Ethan Hunt has wheels in this movie. No, and, he just said that. <laughs> yeah, he does, and uh, I just feel like this was unburdening himself of a character he didn't know what to do with. I liked Rebecca Ferguson, Rebecca Ferguson, a lot, and I think it was not cool. I don't think it was cool that he killed her, and just kind of at a random point. Oh yeah, I, uh, I agree with you. And I, I think Peter raised his hand first. Okay. 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 Um, so what I would say is, I absolutely agree with you that her arc was the best in the first one. You know, she like she's like more more of a complete independent character, and then the second one she's more like part of the team. You know, uh, she's like uh, instead of having like actual conflicting interests with the IMF team. She is more like the interest it was more aligned, so um, she feels more like part of the team. And in this one, it it just feels like um, like I think it'll be really cool to see like her like properly joining the team. I guess he doesn't want that, and um, like the conflict he set up to to sort of to set up killing her off was actually kind of cool. You know, like um, the fact that Ethan can't be there to save both of them or either one of them. Is, uh, is really cool but like my god when the when, when she was killed off why was there so much music during the fight scene bro like i want to hear like fucking the sticks and the knives collide and oh, there's yeah, just yeah. so much music in the background like i was just like yo what am i <laughs> like i'm i'm supposed to feel tense right now because like one of our one of my favorite characters like fighting for her life and there's just music playing all over i just really don't understand why that happened and um also, like, um, killing her off, I guess, makes sense because, like, one of the whole thing Gabe was talking about was Ethan has had the history of unable to protect, like, the, uh, the, the woman in his life. Whether it's, like, almost getting Julia killed twice or, uh, you know, in this time, like, letting Elsa die. So, like, it's sort of planting, like, the seed of doubt in Grace's head, which is, like, sort of worked. But, like, my God, why did they play music during... During the her entire fight scene, I really don't understand. But Aiden, go ahead. Yeah, I, I I actually agree with that point in particular. I didn't like one of the things that makes the bathroom fight scene in six so good is that it's just like it's just the breathing and it's the like 
every punch sounds so visceral and so impactful. And so I agree that it, it has actually, it's cheapened by just the, the way that they did the sound. I agree with that. However, I do want to say, I think that from, I love Ilsa Faust, I think that's a great character, but I think from a plot function, it makes a lot of sense to kill this character particularly, um, because we need to prove that the AI, the AI's prophecies are true to an extent, like that needs to be enforced before we get into the third act, right? Like, so we need to know, like the Gabe says, like one of these two women, either, um, either Grace or Ilsa is going to die. Like the, the, the AI says that through Gabe and that needs to be true. I don't think that there's any way, like in order for Ethan to subvert the prophecy in the finale of the movie, it needs to be true at some point in the movie. And I think it needs to be true in a very devastating way. And like Peter said, it ties into the idea of like, Ethan can't protect the, the women in his life, like the, the women that he develops feelings for or whatever. Like, I, I think that the idea of like history repeating itself and the idea that the entity is almost like trying to convince Ethan of who he is. And like, if, if the entity is to convince Ethan of his fate and convince Ethan that this is inevitable, that's what's going to happen then he can break Ethan. And I think that that's like, that's a really interesting idea. Final thing I'll say, uh, I just a side note. Um, I like Ilsa in six because it, um, her I, whole thing of she was out and now she's back in ties into this idea of it's a life you can never really leave behind. Cause that ties into Katie being there. Katie is his wife's name, right? I don't think so. Oh, <laughs> okay. I, I just think it's Julia. Up. Oh, it was Julia. I don't know who the Julia, fuck Katie is. Totally different. <laughs> I think I think Michelle Monaghan looks like Katie Holmes. Yeah, to it's me. Julia, and yeah. that's why that's why I think that. But yeah, Julia. Okay, uh, yeah, Julia. Like, and so it ties in there, and I actually think it works well in that movie. I agree, not necessarily as flesh as five, but good, whatever. Um, and so while I probably would want to see more with this character, I think it actually makes a lot of sense that she dies here. So what I'll say is. Which, going back to the movie we're not talking about, Fallout, what you said is true, and I like it. I like that she's drawn back in because she has no other choice. And I like that she's, again, at odds with what Ethan needs to do, and she's, like, trying to kill Solomon, Solomon Lane. I thought mm. that was awesome. And one of, the, one of my favorite parts of that movie, surprisingly, is when he's confronting her in a very similar way to Rogue Nation, where she's in the middle of the road and he's in a vehicle, and in the in Rogue Nation, he caved and he crashed mm-hmm. his bikes to so that he didn't hit her. This time he runs her over, and that is yeah. that's character development. And I really thought that was great. I just think it was. Uh, I don't remember. I just saw it too, which sucks. But I don't remember why she was suddenly just like I'm joining the team now. And I think it would have been fun to see her. Like honestly, like why well, she wasn't just an antagonist the whole time? I think that would have been fun. Well, no, because it well because she's not really an antagonist. Like you know what I mean? I know. And like yeah, and I I think it makes sense in that movie because it's just gotten to a point of like the shifting of stakes. Like the whole reason that yeah, exactly. she, the the whole reason she wants to kill uh, Solomon Lane is to get back into MI five and to be like welcomed MI6. home. But like, yeah. oh no, I think it's MI five. Oh really? Those are two different things. But, yeah. but regardless. But um, 
Uh, it is MI6, though. You're right. It is the six mission plus. Pl- Sorry. <laughs> um, <but yeah. laughs> Good one. <laughs> um, but yeah, so th- we shouldn't be talking about this too much. But yeah, um, so she there's a certain point where it's just like that doesn't matter if the world's going to be nuked. And so she sure, obviously yeah. Yeah. like, she likes these people. And so like, she is part of the team. So she's going to be there. I also like the idea that it's like, she wants to go home. That's what she keeps saying. And I think she like finds home more in the new group. And I think that mm-hmm. that's becomes more important, but we'll, so whatever. Yeah. So, okay. So to return to this movie though, yeah, I will say there's a, there's a trend in these movies about like, Ethan can't save the women in his life. He has to choose between two women. One of the women has to die. And it's like, okay, what's, what am I sensing here, you know? And it's, Benji is not in trouble this time. You know, like, he, there's other people he cares about. But it's the, it's the emphasis on, like, he has to choose between two women. There's the obvious, like, there are three women in, this, in the party scene. There's three women in this room that he wants to bang. Like, like to put it on ceremony, right? Like, like he he kissed Black uh, Black Widow. I keep calling her Black Widow. He, he kissed her in the last movie, White Widow. No, he, okay. Like, he, he actually likes Ilsa. Let me finish. Um, and there's, although they don't admit it in this movie, there's obviously romantic chemistry with Haley Atwell that I think will be developed in the next one. There's a whole like romantic comedy car chase scene with the two of them handcuffed together. That's classic. Mm-hmm romantic comedy um and it just it just feels a little like a little gross to me that we just keep introducing new women for ethan and very james bondy actually uh and i wish that we had just stuck around with ilsa who i think is a a great character again and she feels more like a plot device prop in this movie a motivation for ethan than a human being because she is she's literally killed in this movie twice a fake out first which was pretty obviously a fake out but either way she's like just a propelling force for ethan and i don't feel like she gets to do enough and i wish she was just allowed to be part of the team i know why you would want to kill someone at that point for the ai reason i i think that makes sense and i agree with that I just but specifically don't know her too. I actually think is important. I but that's the thing is I don't I don't like it. I think I think that it could have been somebody else, and this is it's just getting to a point where it's like, why is it always the women? That's well, okay, no, but I think that I think that like what the point is, and I think that there's some validity to what you're saying. Don't get me wrong. I think the point is that like it's trying to like. First of all, I will say in the other movies, like Benji is in this position often mm-hmm. where like, where like he that, needs yeah. to save Benji. Like that, is, that is a thing as well, to be fair. Um, and then like he needs to save Luther, like in the sixth in the one, he needs one, to yeah. save Luther and he does the same thing. But so I, I will say, I think that the point here is not that it's not that the movie is saying that like these women are incapable of defending themselves. I, 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 and, and they, they, they do try. I do. Yeah. I admire that I they're don't, allowed to fight. I I don't think that's the point. I actually think the point is somewhat self-aware, and I think it's it it is the AI recognizing that like uh like there are two natural instances of this past that we don't know about of Ethan of like this woman he cares about dying and then his wife, and I think that it's the AI trying to affirm that 
It's like it's trying. Like I, I'm struggling Maybe, to articulate yeah. this. Like I don't think it's a commentary on the capability of the female characters. I think that it's no. I don't think that either. Like I, I I'm struggling to articulate exactly what I think here, but I think it's just the AI is trying to convince Ethan of this role that he fulfills, which is kind of like the typical spy movie star of like guy who just gets all the women in his life killed. And I think that, I think that there's some self-awareness there considering that the movie is a lot about like the plots that are weaved by the powers that be. And I, I think that, I, I think that that's, that's the idea that's getting at. Although I do think that there is some validity to what you're saying as well, because at the end of the day, obviously it is writers just choosing to do this. Um, yeah. But yeah, I I don't think it's as far as portrayals of women go. I don't think it's that egregious though, and I think that there are there are some plot reasons that make a lot of sense and are not too mm-hmm. bad. I think, and I I think it all just comes from a place of love of this character, and we all at least we all agree. Yeah, on that. no, and I we, agree. I agree. I it sucked when she died. That felt yeah. bad. I just I understood. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, speaking of the AI, let's talk about that. So. My thinking on the AI, I there's parts of it I like, and there's more of a nitpicking thing. So I think I think as a whole, I like that this is obviously this is this seems like the culmination of the franchise. This needs to be the most important mission ever, right? So we've dealt with nukes and weapons of mass destruction literally several times, and we're past the point of like like once you go there, you can't go back to lower stakes like revealing like the first movie is revealing the identities of agents we can't go backwards we can only go forwards and i think this ai does that perfectly this seems like a super catastrophic threat that could threaten everything um and particularly what i like is it's like it seems to be like ethan's greatest match ever this is someone who can literally like see his every move and like figure out what he's going to do before he knows it um and like like he's he's the person who who always goes like i'm gonna figure it out but what if there was something that could figure it out before him you know um uh also um we kind of danced around this idea but i'll say it like like in in rogue nation alec baldwin says that ethan hunt is the living manifestation of destiny well so is the ai (laughs) and that's what's that's what's so great about this is it's Mm -hmm. too manifestations of destiny one living one artificial and putting them head to head and it's it's great i i think that's a really smart like take on a on a a macguffin or like like all the they're always trying to like steal something so like that's why i'm calling it a macguffin and well the key is yeah the key is a macguffin yeah yeah. and like but like like it's an antagonist that doesn't have a physical form and i guess Mm. gabe is that representative but anyways I think that is all great. I'll I'll wait for my nitpicking until I let you guys talk about yeah it first. No, no, I I love this because um, and honestly, I think I think there's like th- it's so great that even though the movie's done a good job of it, I still think there are missed opportunities. I really like how this entity thing is the first time, honestly, where Ethan's at the complete opposite. Um, uh, his personal interest is the complete opposite of the national interest because his personal interest is destroying the AI, but the national interest is controlling the AI. 
and in previous movies, regardless of whether he's going rogue or the uh, the CIA thinks he's he's a he's a traitor, he's a mole. Like his personal interest always aligns with the agency or the national interest, which is stopping a threat or like stopping um, nukes from going off, etc. Um, but this is the first time where they're completely at odds with each other, and uh, the fact that I, I really I really wish they sort of um, bring up the implications a little more, but they really downplayed it towards the end because. Uh, uh, at the end, it was revealed that the whole thing, the whole fiasco started because the U.S. wished to track a Russian stealth submarine. So, and that's what set the AI free. So, like, technically, like, the U.S. triggered the, all these events. So, there are, like, actual, yes. like, national sort interests of. compounded with the interests of controlling the AI, which is crazy. You know, seeing Kittredge being there in the meeting, you know, sort of doing this deal that he doesn't want to do, but because... For the national interest, he has to do it. Like all of these uh, elements working together is really, really cool. But I really don't like how um, uh, the effect of AI is really mitigated by simply it's like, oh, we're gonna use analog communication instead. And like the AI was like completely absent in the third act. Like the stake is still there. Like the 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 uh, the desire to control the AI is still there. But very much like the um, the threat of the AI is gone after you know they got tricked once uh, of the of AI impersonating Benji, which I thought was really cool. You know what happens when Ethan doesn't have the guy in the chair anymore? You know the guy feeding him directions. Oh, the guy he's tracking is going left, going to the right, things like that, and how he sort of deal with that. And I think that is where I want to see the Mission Impossible franchise go because like we've already gone to places where the threats are crazy what if like he's actually getting handicapped by you know the threat not allowing him to gain certain advantages by sort of communicating with his teammates etc which i thought that i thought it was great when they did it in venice but i wish they'd done that more but sure i i both i both agree and disagree with that complaint actually i i agree that they they in some ways get around it too easily and i agree that it would be really interesting if Ethan still had to find a different way to, like, communicate with Benji and stuff like that. Like, if... Other than just, like, okay, we're on radio waves. Like, I, I agree. Like, that that could be... There, there's something interesting there. However, I disagree that the threat of the AI drops out at any point in this movie. I don't think that happens. Because the main threat of the AI is that it is it is God who is writing fate. Like, what I what I love... And so, in the third act, like... What is at stake is like, is the is this fate written by the AI going to be fulfilled, or is Ethan able to subvert it and best it? And I think that that is very much present. I really like the speech that he has with I forget is it I think it's with Luther where Luther talks about like yeah if you kill him the AI wins and if you uh, if you lose the AI wins as well. And like I like that there's like the AI is like calculated this thing and can Ethan beat the odds? And I think that's interesting. Um, and then I will just say really quick as well. I really like in general, the like religious, uh, uh, comparisons that are made to the AI, like mm. even just simple things like the key is cruciform. And they, they say that word a lot. It's a cruciform key. It's in the shape of a cross. Like it's, it's access to the God power. It's, it's a, it's a, uh, a worldly conduit through which you can access the god power. I like the idea of, um, 
And I think that it ties into this. Oh, that's a separate point. Sorry. But yeah, no, I think that, um, I, I think that the, the religious implication of it is really interesting and how like the zealotry with which like Gabe follows the AI is like, that's akin to like a religious uh, perspective as well. And I think that that's like, that's really interesting to me the the, and I think that again, it ties into the Ethan destiny thing. And I think that's great. Yeah. Um, uh, where do I start? No, I, I think the, the, the religious imagery is awesome. Um, I bet there's going to be some more of that in the next one. I feel like there's going to be yeah. some some Jesus references for for Mr. Hunt. Um, I think so. Now now I'll, I'll talk about some of the the issues I have with the AI, which you guys have already started to touch on. Is I don't think its uh, its abilities and its limitations I don't think are clearly defined. This is actually usually I don't have a problem with this, and this is something I hear other people talk about. Uh, this is. So this is this is rare for me, but at every point when there there was the AI involving itself or messing things up, I was like, oh, okay, so it can do that. And then other times I was like, oh no, it's gonna do this, and it didn't. And I was wondering why. So an example: Benji is driving an electric car. He gets out of the driver's seat and he's in the passenger seat, and the car is self-driving. That is literally AI. <laughs> so like, like it's it's an electric car and it's an AI car. And I was just like on the edge of my seat, being like, it's gonna take over the car. Something is gonna happen. They're gonna try and kill Benji or like like reroute him or something, you know. And it didn't. And this happened. That's the only example I have on the top of my head. But this is a uh, it's it's uh, emblematic of like a just a general problem is of this movie is. I don't know what the AI can and cannot do. And that's a problem. Uh, I like I like the idea, and this, this is related, I like the idea that it is representative of God, and there's this idea of destiny and fate. But on the other hand, some of the predictions that AI makes don't make sense from like what an AI should be able to do. So you might be able to say, like, you might be able to just brush it off, say it's a movie, who cares? Fine, fair. This ties in, though, to what it can and cannot do. When it's suggesting that it knows the key is going to land at Gabe's feet and it does, I'm like, how did it know physics? You know, or um, the, the women dying. How does it thing, know right? physics? It said it would land at his feet. I guess it doesn't actually. If it if it literally landed at his feet, if he was standing there and it lands at his feet, that would be like, okay, come on, guys. And it doesn't <laughs> do that. So so fair. Yeah. He he actually just like gets it. But yeah. I think I think if the predictions had been maybe just a little more general, maybe I would have been more okay with it. I just have a problem with realism in what an AI is actually capable of doing. This no, is absolutely. a super AI, of course, but. Um, I didn't really buy everything it was able to know, I guess. Oh, I, I, I absolutely agree with you with on that. the uh, like, <laughs> power turns. limitation point, by the way. Like, I think, I think that's great. Like, you know, like the fact that we see so many things that the AI can control and the fact that it's not controlling it just leaves us with questions. Um, but like when it comes to like landing at its feet, like, I agree, like, a general one would probably be better and healthier for the movie. But, like, like end of the day, it's literally just predicting... Because, like, 
apparently the AI has a lot of data points on all these people. So it's able to predict uh, all the paths that that's able to diverge from one decision. So it's just saying that, oh, it's most likely this key will land at this guy's feet because this guy's going to get it. But like, that's yeah, not a it, huge issue, to be honest. Um, and honestly, like, uh, Alex, I find it funny that you compared this movie and uh, Ethan's character with James Bond. I think it's actually really similar to Spider-Verse because like the canon event and shit like that. Yeah. <laughs> and especially it, because it's a two-parter as well. <laughs> and this being a two-parter too. <laughs> so it's kind of funny. No, yeah, uh, I completely disagree with you guys. I think the movie would be much weaker if the if the AI was not if the AI was saying just like general things. I think that not only is it not only is it like able to say like yes, this is what's going to happen specifically, mm-hmm. um, but also the fact that like the language used to describe it is so like it's somewhat illustrious. Like it's like it will land at his feet. Like that's really there are different important. ways like, to interpret it. You mean right? But yeah, yeah. well, no. What I what I mean is that, well, yes, but also I mean that like it's that's like a a storytelling sort of thing. And what's mm-hmm. important is that like the AI is spinning a story. And I think that I I completely buy that it can do these things because it just the the question the movie is asking, and I think that this will ultimately be proven. Like, there's a question in this movie of whether the AI really is omnipotent, and I think the reveal is that it won't be. And I think that that's kind of proven at the end of this movie, is that it's yeah. it's not entirely, but it still is very powerful. And like you said, Peter, it's going off of probabilities. And I think, like, yeah, I think it definitely could predict that. I think I, I would 100% believe that it's it's been doing enough tinkering and enough calculation to be like, yeah, this is the most probable thing, these things need to happen for that to work. Um, and I think that at the same time, like maybe contradicting what I said, like the key falling at his feet, that kind of is general enough that like, yeah, like they're going to lose track of the key and he's going to get it. You know what I mean? Like that's, I, I think there are a bunch of pathways in which that same statement is true. Um, and then I buy it even more with the characters are going to die and characters are going to do this thing. Cause again, it's the Mm -hmm. idea of does the AI know you well enough that it can pigeonhole you into this path or are you able to best it? And that's like, that's like, that's the crux of the conflict. And so I think that, uh, I think it's really interesting. And I think the movie would be much weaker if they didn't do that. Yeah, sure. In, I will say in defense of the AI, I have two ideas. One, I think it's, it's interesting that we are, uh, not always, but most of the time, we're hearing the AI's intentions through Gabriel. So mm-hmm. there's a bit of um, a bit of a game of telephone, uh, for lack of a better descriptor, in that we don't actually know how the AI is describing what will happen, and it's it's Gabe's interpretation of what the AI right. is saying. So the fact that he thinks that the key will land at his feet is kind of like an implication of his character and he feels he's deserving of it, why he chooses those words over other words. So I think that that is a perfectly valid um, kind of like reasoning of it is maybe the AI just says something like, uh, like you will get the key at the end of the day, like whatever. But I think even if, oh, sorry. Well, it's just that like, like the fact that Gabe, the way Gabe describes it, I think is important. And the other thing is that, um, 
I think part of what works with the AI's predictions is that knowing what's going to happen, like the characters knowing what's going to happen, um, and having the like the servant of the AI who is like it's his physical body. Um, I think both of those things make those things come true. They're self-fulfilling prophecies, right? Yeah. So especially especially having an agent for the AI in the world. So the AI says one of those women is going to die tonight. Well, then Gabe is going to do everything in his power to make sure that is true. Right. Mm-hmm. It's not just happenstance. And because it's not because he it's... believes it's fate, his chances are actually improved because he like he believes it's going to happen. So there's some power behind that. So yeah, he yeah, yeah so absolutely. he he is confident yeah. in his actions, and other people are experiencing doubt, and it is impacting them. So yeah. I so that's that's my defense of my own criticisms of the AI. I still think it's very vague, and I think AI can be a catch-all term and a poor descriptor for. A villain, but I mean, also it's it's very relevant to our times. Look at SAG no, after and what they're doing. So, I no, I think it's very, I think it's cool, and I I like, I like that it's. I I wanted to say that it's really important that, um, it it needs to be convincing. Like a story, it's telling a story, and that story needs to be convincing. So mm-hmm. even if the AI. I think there's a certain degree of the AI knows what things to say in order to be convincing, especially to Gabe mm-hmm. and to other people. And so even if the AI was the one that said, oh, it will land at your feet, even if that isn't just Gabe's interpretation, that doesn't necessarily mean the AI knows that for certainty, but it knows that by saying that, Gabe is going to do everything in his power to make that happen, like you say. Um, and so I think that, like, I think the vagueness is important because, like, that's why... Like, that's why God is powerful, is because God mm. can mean anything to anyone, and God can, God is mystified enough that if you've, like, if you've accepted the guiding hand of God, then anything can be a result of that. Like, that's why that's powerful. And so, I think that if you demystify that, then the AI is less powerful. And I think that not defining its limitations makes it really ambiguous although i agree with you the self-driving car thing that was that's yeah. bizarre it's bizarre to do that and then not right mention the AI. There's, that's bizarre i agree with you yeah there. it's it's um, a it sorry are you not done no i have a different point i have a different point okay um it, oh if it's still on ai it is still now. on ai okay but uh, yeah. actually P- peter should say something i think he's been wanting to say something so i was all i want to say is to be honest like i agree with your point that you know, if we don't clarify the limitations of this AI, so like it mystifies what he can actually do and that sort of makes him seem more powerful, but it doesn't really work in a movie setting when so many things are electronic or connected to the internet. So you're like, why can't the AI hack this? Why can't the AI hack that? So like some limitations would be nice in my opinion, which is like just clarifying. It's like, oh, it's not doing this because it's not doing that because so at least the audience is not like so like the isn't the ai just not that powerful because it could literally so, hack benji's car you know i could but see i 
for me that's not a limitations thing for me mm-hmm. that actually the workaround for that was would to say that it's not part of the ai's plan or it's like or that yeah it, exactly or it's that like, it is supposed part of the to plan. happen so it's right. letting it like, happen yeah yeah, yeah. so Absolutely. that i for me it's not a limitations thing i could see i think that there it maybe is a problem of why did the ai not do this but i don't mm-hmm. think it's about what can the ai do I think it's it's more of just a question of how can it tie into that fate narrative. Sure, yeah, um, yeah, I, I can I can stand by that. Yeah, but then one thing one thing I really like as well is I like that it ties in, like one of the central thematic questions here is is choice illusory? Like, can we can, like is choice real? Do we actually have any choice? Are we just governed by fate? And I like mm-hmm. that it ties into the AI thing. It also ties into the choice offered by the IMF. Because mm. the agents that join the INF and choose to accept, like, they're in such a situation that it's not really Oh my god, okay. Like, and yeah. so that's a really, I think that's a, and they, they are really emphasizing that in this movie. They talk about Ethan, they talk about the situation that Grace is in. Yeah. And so I think it's very interesting to tie that into the broader discussion of AI and fate and whatever. Um, of like, that might be stretching it, but I do like that point, though. I, do I don't like think that. that's a stretch at all. I think that's yeah. exactly what they're trying to do. I think that, I don't know why else, like, I mean, I think that, like, obviously there's other reasons why you'd focus on Ethan's past, but, like, the Haley Atwell choosing to join the IMF at the end is very significant, but it's also, it's like, it's an interesting choice because at one hand, like, what the fuck, what else would she do? Well, I mean, she, well, actually, no, she makes the choice earlier. And so that's what's really interesting about it is that she chooses not to accept the money. Like, mm-hmm. she she breaks out into this new thing. She actually had a way out. And so I think that, like, the way that the movie is going, and I think this will be the finale of the second one, is that, like, the choice prevails and the human agency prevails. And I think that, like, I, I think that's absolutely what they're doing, yeah. Yeah, I can see yeah, that. Yeah, and Peter, I swear to God, I've raised my hand a million times. Um for the um, the choice thing, uh, I definitely think that is what the movie is about. I agree with Aiden. It's very clear because literally, and this is going to get kind of uh, structural and analytical from a screenwriting perspective, but literally the second scene, which is, I think, I'm trying to remember what it's called in Save the Cat, but it's, it's like the thesis statement section. Theme mm. stated, I think is what they call it. They call it theme sure. stated. Uh that scene in this movie is the classic Tom Tom Cruise gets his mission dossier from an agent where they have to do the code and it's a rookie. It's never yeah. been a rookie before. And he's he's like nervous about it and he's like, You made the right choice. That's the last thing yeah. he says to the guy. It's like that's a that is very clearly what this movie is about. And I do think that's cool. So I agree with you, Aiden, on that. Um I guess also it just occurred to me, but like the CIA agents, or I don't know who they work for necessarily, but um, one of them is conflicted and is not sure what they're doing is right. I think that's also like all the characters are doing their their part for the story. But I just wanted yeah. to mm-hmm. add the Benji thing. I think a, there's a much simpler cover up, and it's there's an opportunity for comedy there too. Like I, 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 I there's a part where he gets in the passenger seat. And then he yeah. buckles his seatbelt. I almost want, like, I thought that was in reference to the AI, but I wasn't sure. But, like, there's so many things he could have said to just, like, brush it off and reassure us. So, like, for example, he could have said, 
oh, don't worry about it. It's offline, right? Like as long as it's not connected to the internet, I think it's fine. I'm not like, mm-hmm. again, I'm, I'm not sure what the limitations are. If it's not hooked up to a satellite. And I think that's an, an opportunity for comedy, you know, like, yeah. Tom Cruise looking at the car and is like, is that safe? Am I safe I to guess, get in there? Or like, I guess, um, yeah, sure. yeah, or sure. even like him sitting in the passenger seat and being like, is this AI going to like kill me in the passenger seat? Is it going to cause a car crash? You know, I think they could have addressed that because like really that's that's the one time where I was like, OK, what is this AI doing? You know? Yeah, I, I agree. And I think I agree with that. I think that. Yeah, I, th- I think we're generally in agreement. My general point is just that I don't think, I don't think defining the limitations is the way to clarify these things. But yeah, and I I, I can see that because also that might be good to do in the next movie where demystifying yeah. it is part of defeating it, is realizing yes, exactly. it's not God, yeah. it's just a computer made by man. Uh, speaking of AI, I think we should talk about Gabe Gabriel. First of all, significant that he has. A religious name that's the name of an angel or something i, I just remembered yeah. but um and in terms of um a character i think it's i think as an agent of the ai he's interesting i'm not sure if his character was like thanos level i think we've had and by that i mean i think we've had better villains in the mission impossible franchise but i think he was i think he was serviceable for the story and I like I like the actor, but uh, I'm I'm not sure this was, um, I'm not sure there was a lot to his character in this one. Maybe we'll get more in the next one. But he is he's elusive and um, doesn't have a I don't know. Yeah, well, I'll go with elusive. He's elusive in this one for sure. Sure. Uh, I'm yeah. curious to to know what you guys think. I think I both actually villains. Whoa! I had hands. I had hands. I had hands too. <laughs> start throwing hands. You guys need to watch this. Okay, you you go for it. You go first, Peter. Go for I think both villains in this movie were really weak. Um, I think the AI as a villain was very very strong, but both human characters were very weak. It's like we don't know anything about them, and um, and like the only thing we know sort of about Gabe was um, just like a quick flashback in Ethan Hunt's past. Like he killed someone that meant a lot to him, so he has a grudge with him. But then that's sort of all we know. That's all the context we were given. And we don't really know why Gabe is doing this, why he's sort of doing the AI's bidding and everything. I, like, I just wish, like... Because, like, he is committed to get the access key and set the AI free, basically. But, like, that's bad for basically everyone on Earth because that's, you know, control. like, everyone will be controlled by the algorithm. Like, I don't understand why he has so much faith in this artificial god and um that doesn't really help when uh all he does was just conveying the ai's message it's like oh this is gonna happen so i'm gonna make it happen type thing but like i never understand why he believes in the ai so much and uh why he's doing the ai's bidding to begin with well this is a character who lives as a ghost because of the structural powers that exist in the world right like the Mm -hmm. law the law makes it such that he has to live as a ghost. The AI is freedom and salvation yeah. because it is the toppling of all those things and it's it's like supreme freedom for him. What I like about Gabe is that actually that we, again, that we don't know that much about him and that he just acts as more or less a conduit for the AI, which I think is really important. Um, I like that the few things we do know about him is that he seems to have this sort of vindictive fixation on Ethan and... 
I think that that it's like it's a similar thing. It reminded me of like the Eddie Brock Venom thing, where it's like, yeah. like he like like he ha- he hates Peter Parker, and like that's like, and he's and this more powerful thing is like using him and feeding on that like to reach its own means, um, and I think that that worked really well. I think that we're gonna learn more about him in the second one, and I think that yeah. he's set up well enough in this one. I actually I don't know if I'd want to know more than him because again he to an extent needs to feel somewhat all powerful too because if he feels too weak and too much like and too demystified as well then I think by extension it also that limits the powers of the AI as well um, and so I, I I agree with you Alex that I think the second movie is going to be a lot be about that demystification. And so I, I quite like it. I don't even know who the second human villain is you're referring to, Peter. The Paris Pom Pom. Oh, she was cool. Yeah, but I liked her. I, I mean, she's like, like a side character. She did. Well, we don't need to know more. <laughs> she was... Because again, she t- it ties into the idea. Like her arc is tying into the idea of fate and stuff. And like yeah. she said, she would betray him, but it winds up happening in like not exactly the same way that it was told. And so that's an interesting thing as well. So she's another and, wrinkle there. And then she's also going to be an asset going forward in the second one. She, she's she, dead. No. No, she, they the find pulse. her pulse. Oh, they found her pulse. You, okay. you, you don't write that as a screenwriter. You do not write character comes in and says she has a pulse if she's gonna just be dead the next. Yeah, time. yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. No, you're right. You're right. Um, but like, but like, Aiden, my problem is like I find it difficult to emotionally invest in this movie. Uh, oftentimes, um, because like, I I totally understand that you know Gabe has a grudge with Ethan. Ethan has his grudge with Gabe. But like, we are just told that through like flashbacks and sure. things like that. But like, I never really feel it. It's like, why so, do they have these grudges? Like, like, sure, like, if they explain it in the second one, then, you know, with Dead Reckoning Part 1 Part 2 combined, we get a more complete story. Totally fair. But, like, in, in this movie in isolation, like, I, I just feel like I don't really feel, like, I understand why characters are doing what they're doing. Like, like Luther gave Ethan this whole speech about, it's like, hey, you know, like, you, I know you hate this guy, but, you know, when it comes to the greater good, don't kill him. You know, but like in the moment, like the speech made sense. But like when you think about it, it's like as an audience, like I'm trying to understand why, like how come Tom Cruise really wants to kill this guy that bad? He badly? killed someone. He, we know yeah, he his, killed his like, wife or whatever. Or he, 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 killed, he killed or Elsa, sure. But like it's like, no, no he, like, killed, he, he killed like the, he is the reason Ethan joined the IMF. He killed a girl in the flashback. And then he killed Ilsa. He's killed two women in Ethan Hunt's life. But it's like, why is that? Uh, I don't know. Like, I, he killed I, someone. I wish there was more explanation. That's all. Okay. More than he I killed wish there was more explanation. And like, yeah, I, I, I don't agree with you there. It's good. It's, yeah, I, I like that too. And I also like the idea that, again, like Gabe is more or less the reason Ethan joined the IMF. So it's like they're kind of yeah, like he created are, him. Like I think they yeah, talked about that. Yeah, they yeah. kind of created each other, yeah. and so I think that yeah. like their their destinies are intertwined, and so I think that that's interesting. I might agree with you though that there might be a little bit, there might be a little bit of a habit of just telling in this movie, but I do think that through directing the scenes between Ethan and Gabe are really well directed and really well acted, so that I personally really bought. The, okay. the the grudge holding relationship between the two but i i could see what you're saying of yeah you just didn't feel it yourself 
Yeah, like I feel like oftentimes in this movie, like I understand the stake, but like I just don't feel the stake, you know? Like it's not like I'm mm-hmm. on the edge of my seat as oftentimes as the stake mm-hmm. should make me do that, you know what I mean? Um, sure, I, I just didn't feel that way. I, I, I was on edge the whole time. No, same. I, 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 I don't know, but like, it's weird to say like emotional in like this movie. Like I'm not weeping at the, any right. point, but like I was fully involved and at the edge of my seat, I think is the best way to describe it. Yeah. If that's an yeah. emotion, then I, yes, it did get an emotional reaction. It certainly got a reaction out of me. Yeah, in, yeah, like in, yeah. in the best possible terms, um, I think I think it's interesting that Palm Clementiev might return, and just to touch on this briefly, but it's it's that again that idea that she's really only helping Ethan because she was essentially told she would, and I think yeah. that's super important and kind of also ironic in the fact that why would you, as a villain, reveal something like that? Because he has utter faith in it, like you know I what guess, I mean. So yeah, like, but like it's but it's, it's really it's a, interesting. It's a flaw thing, you know, and a, like in a good yeah. way. It's not a flaw yeah. of the movie; no, it's agree. a flaw of the character. Yeah. In that he has such faith in what's going to happen that he's like revealing things that are going to not help him. You know, she yeah. saves Ethan Hunt's life. He could have died there, in theory, right? Probably not, but you know, like. Uh, anyways, uh, speaking of characters i don't know <laughs> kittredge i just want to like i don't have a lot to say about kittredge but yeah i just I, again i can't say enough i love that he's back and that he's again an antagonist he's he was an antagonist in the first one despite mm-hmm. being yeah. part of the imf i don't really know what his role is in the imf but the fact that he's, he's one of the guys he's one of the guys he's one of the boys <laughs> and he's trying to buy back he's trying yeah he's trying to buy back because it was the u.s's originally this thing that Hunt is trying to destroy. They're at odds again. And he's a, he's a cool, scary dude. I like him. Yeah, I like yeah. him too. I don't I have like much him. to say about him, but I like him. No, fair enough. That's for me and me only. Uh, also, another returning character thing. The guy who was... Uh, Rolf Saxon is the actor's name. He plays a character named <laughs> William Donlow. He was the CIA agent at Langley that Tom Cruise stole from in the first movie in the, yeah. the white room sequence mm-hmm. um, was in a trailer for this movie. Just not here, <laughs> not here at yeah. all. There was, there was a definite shot where he was clearly in it. Like there's no doubt about it. Just fully was not in this movie. Uh, I imagine they're saving it. It was probably at yeah. one time, maybe a post credit scene perhaps, or like a like a final beat of the movie that they ultimately cut, but I think it's it's very obvious how they're going to do this because in Mission One he is after he is stolen from it's totally not his fault. Kittredge, yeah. there's a there's a great split diopter shot. In a split diopter shot, yeah, yeah, where yeah. Kittredge is talking to someone. He's like, I want this guy packed up into a base in Alaska. But at the end of the day, is like, yeah, yeah, like so. <laughs> yeah. So he's he's been sent to like um, the the timeout zone basically in Alaska, and and presumably he's been there this whole time, <laughs> like yeah. for thirty years or so. He's been stuck in this base in Alaska thanks to Tom Cruise. And where's the submarine? In an icy location, oh, yeah. probably yeah. Alaska. Also, 
very well, close no, to Russia. No, they literally said it's. They said it's in the Bering Sea. So yeah, it is. There that you is go. The, yeah, that is so the area between. We Russia are and gonna have to uh, reckon with Rolf yeah. Saxon in the next one. <laughs> um, what else can we say? I think the let's talk about the main issue we we all seem to have with this movie. No stunts. There's no stunts in this movie, and not well, to say none, to be clear, but... it's not no stunts. And I think there are tons of stunts. I actually, yes. I think what Peter said earlier is actually really accurate. I don't have a problem with the overall pacing of this movie. I actually, I don't think it suffers from the two-parter thing too much. I think the pacing of sequences is bad, though, in some parts. I, I agree They're with drawn that. drawn out. Like, what? Not even just drawn out. I don't mind them being long. I think it's it's exactly what Peter said, where they are. It's a roller coaster that's starting and stopping. Like we're going mm-hmm. up, and then we're just like taking a break. And I think that the car chase with the handcuffs is a clear example of that, where it's just like. We just keep yes. taking breaks. They just keep stopping, and it doesn't ramp up. And I think, especially in comparison to, like, the car chase in, uh, like, the long car chase sequence that turns into the foot chase sequence after in Mission Impossible 6 is, like, mm-hmm. like it's just, com- by comparison, it's just, like, what the hell are we doing? And also, the car chasing in, in Mission Impossible 5, too. Like, it's just, it's so much better. And I think that, like, it's just, yeah, it's just, that's my main problem. And then I also have the problem of, um... Uh, but what was I saying? Oh, just the fight scenes are just like weaker, and I just don't know. Yeah. I don't know exactly like it, it. Like so, the close quarters hallway fight scene when that was being set up, I was like, "Oh shit!" Like we're getting one. I was like, I was waiting for <laughs> this a really go. good fight scene, and it just yeah. isn't good. I think it's a bit of a shot choice thing where we just yeah. don't get to see the hits as much. But I just don't understand. But I also, it's also choreography not working in tandem with that really well. Because in Mission Impossible 6, during the bathroom fight scene, when they're fighting in the stall, that's awesome. Like, it looks great. Like, and I think that, like, it's weird because they have, like, the same shot. It's just, like, an overhead shot. They use the same thing in this. And I think that it's just, it's not choreographed as well. And I also think it has to do with the fact that they're not utilizing the the situation. They're not utilizing the environment enough. Like, in the bathroom fight scene, they're able to thrash so hard because it's just flimsy stall doors, but here it's brick walls. And so how can you mm. utilize brick walls? And I don't think that that's taken advantage of fully. Um, yeah, I, I I was let down by that scene. Yeah, in response to the... the You call it a hallway. Alley, alley it's an alley. The alley fight. Yeah, yeah. Um, right. I think from a story perspective, I think it's a very interesting idea. There's... Yeah. Um, He's he's boxed in quite literally, and the the walls are are closing in on him, and he's trapped at both ends by opposing forces. So it's it's great for that reason. I do think it's a little hard to follow in such close quarters with the shots they choose. Uh, so I I agree with you on that. It's just I think as a whole this movie doesn't have the same sort of like memorable set pieces. And that's probably something we'll bring up when we rank the movies, which hopefully we will get to, uh, is the movies that stand out are the movies you remember, right? It's the ones that have those, like, defining moments. Fallout has, I think, of the Macquarie series, the most of those. Fallout has, like, seven, dude. There's, like, the Halo. Well, I don't want to listen now. That'll take too long. (laughs) But, you know, like, and we'll do it again anyways. But um, there's just, like, one in this, maybe? And yeah. like, like in terms of specifically stunts, because that's what initiated this conversation. Um, there's like 
there is the one. There's the one. Oh, that's a that's a stunt. And there's oh, not as I didn't I didn't realize how you were defining stunt. I was defining it in like the film sense of like a fight scene is a stunt. Right. I mean, I don't know. If we're talking about stunts later, I would probably count the the bathroom scene in Fallout. But like, right. I don't. It's even then, like, I uh, okay, fine. If we're talking straight stunts, there's the one stunt, and I was hoping for something more than that because I think usually there's more. But um, to in kind of I'm kind of jumping around. But to respond to the starting and stopping, my least favorite part of this movie is in the middle of the car sequence in Rome. They stop to figure out how a car works. Yeah, what? like what? Yeah. <laughs> like yeah, that you've been an agent yeah. for thirty years and cars are confusing they make confusing cars like that is that was just like this is too silly and in a way that doesn't make sense in the world i think um yeah i agree so i don't know that's that's all yeah i guess that's all i have to say about stunts uh peter you wanted to say something yes i have a lot to say so first of all (laughs) this movie's marketing team is fucking genius so they basically yeah, actually, yeah. show, they basically show, like, they made it seem like we're only showing you part of this movie. You know, the most awesome stuff is still in the movie, which I guess some of them were, like the airport scene, the uh, meeting room stuff, etc. But my God, they marketed the shit out of the, uh, the cliff jump he's, he, he does in the mountains. And we see the cliff jump for less than a minute in the, in the movie. Yeah, it is, it's very short. And, and it's at horrible angles. Like, I don't even feel like this is a, like, you, you know, from like a comprehensive sense. Like, sure, it is very difficult. He's riding off a motorcycle. It's way too low for you to open your shoe. And he needs to accurately land on a train. But the way the movie presents the sequence just does not make me feel like, A, this is difficult. And B, this is impressive. You know? Like... That stunt like was really cool stunt in real life, but I thought from a filming perspective, like it was awfully presented. Yeah, and, I um, agree. With, mm? Yeah, yeah. Let's 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 talk about this first. Yeah, yeah. I, okay, I know. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I do agree with that. Um, yeah. I think it's not that cool of a stunt. Like they've done cooler things. Don't get me wrong; it's cool, but um, maybe some of the issues weren't super clear. I think they, it's funny, they actually better outline what could go wrong in the behind-the-scenes Yeah, in the feature they do in the movie. Um, but, uh, I don't know. I don't, and I also, this is, this is in the negative column, I don't like that they had to CGI out the ramp. It's kind of necessary, like, you can't yeah, play yeah. it out anyways, but it looks terrible. And for all no, of, I like, agree. Tom Cruise being like, CGI is the bane of my existence... Dude, it's in your movie right now. Like, like most movies need CGI, but that's a significant <laughs> portion of CGI for that moment, and it looks terrible. Um, yeah. In defense, I, I don't... It, oh, sorry, sorry, sure. just quick. In defense of it, I will say, seeing Tom Cruise just straight falling, I was like, oh, he's just falling. Like that is fully just falling. That was cool. Yeah. And the way the marketing hypes up that sequence made it that much better in the movie, despite it not being that much. It's fun having that kind of awareness of what's going to happen when Benji and Cruz are, are, are bickering, looking for the train connection. Everyone knows what's going to happen. Yeah, yeah. And it, it <laughs> yeah. makes it better. Yeah, no, I, I think that I agree with you. That's great. Uh, yeah, so I have, I have a few things to say. So I agree the CG is rough. I Like, it, it just, 
I think it doesn't help that we know it's a ramp. Like we just yeah. know that. And so yeah. like like looking at it, there's just a certain degree of like you don't believe it. I also think that weirdly the CG on the train is not good either. Like there's like when they're fighting on top of the train, I just like I think the train sequence mm. in Mission Impossible One is much better. The top of the oh, train the CG, fight scene. The CG is, is terrible in one. <laughs> it's but no, but no, but I just think it's a better like because for one thing, like like the way that the physics are implemented, like Ethan needs to hold on to different things and then needs to let himself go and fall back, and like I think that's really interesting. But I think like they don't look like they're there in this movie, and I don't know, I don't know exactly we, what that is. But, but they I, are. Okay, I, I just want to say they what? are there. That was filmed on a real moving train, actually. Really? Yeah. Oh man, it just didn't. They actually fought on it. I could. I'll, I'll pull it up for you. But sorry, continue your point. It just didn't look. I, it might be a shot choice thing, but anyway. Sorry. Like so. Um. What I. What my problem with the jump is that we cut away from it, and then Ethan just lands in the train, and that's not what's fun about that stunt. What's fun is seeing exactly how Ethan has to maneuver it and it's seeing Ethan get the idea to crash into the train through the window and then like try to do that like that's and we don't see that like it just cuts to him doing it and I don't think that's as fun um what I will say though when he jumps off I like held my breath like when when the jump happens and I was like oh <gasps> Like, like I did get the feeling as well. It's like I, it's not the coolest stunt in the world compared to some of the other ones they've done, but like, definitely a cool one. Which wait, when he jumps off, which point? I'm forgetting. When he jump, when he when he jumps off on the motorcycle. Oh, like off the off the cliff. Off the cliff, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I sent a behind the scenes photo of of them on wires. It's, I don't know. I don't know if it's super clear that what's going on there, but. Uh, they did, in fact, fight on a moving train. That's weird. Um, it just did it look good to you. It looked bad to me. I I don't think I had a problem with that. I will say, kind of relevant, the train sequence I think was not the best ending to a Mission Impossible movie. Not terrible, and it. I think it. I think it works, but also, I don't know. It was just okay, I guess, which is weird. Um, and. Uh, uh, I don't know. I like that it mirrors the first movie. Yeah. But I think, I don't know, they just don't top helicopter bumper cars. Like, you know? Like, <laughs> yeah, the last yeah. movie had a fire third act, and this yeah. one is just like, they're on a train. And I think that's kind of also the problem with Mission Impossible 1, is it's just like, they're on a train. And No, I think it's fire in Mission Impossible 1. That one's awesome. With the helicopters to go into the tunnel, that's so sick. <laughs> It's quite goofy watching it uh, later. I, that was fire. I, I, thought, I thought that was so. I watched that the other day. I thought that was sick. I I would say though, like um, like the the fighting stuff on the train was fine, but I just really don't like how the very end. You know, when the villain is basically removed because like Gabriel left. Gabriel left. Uh, left left the fight because he's got his key. He's leaving, and like the final thing is just. Him and Haley Abel trying to escape, trying to, you know, like, go from one car to another to, like, uh, go, go get to safety, basically. Which is a sick sequence, but because the villain is gone, and also, like, we literally know there's a sequel coming up, there's no stake anymore. Like, like, like I was, like, appreciating the visual, but, like, it's like, 
like I was like, okay, like he's gonna escape. Um, but I would say one positive about that scene though, if it happened any other time where there is real stake, really cool how uh, different train carts offer different levels of challenges. You know, yeah. like the uh, the kitchen car has like, you know, the deep fryer and like, you know, the oil on the ground, really slippery. And then the fancy, you know, like fucking first class one has a larger piano about to fall down. And then the whole thing is done sort of at a different angle as well. Because usually you walk train like in a horizontal type of way. But in this thing, this is it's like a whole vertical thing. You're trying to go up instead of go towards the left or the right on the train car, which is really cool. Um... And, and, you know, like the whole, uh, I mean, like Palm helping escape at the end was a little cheesy, a little, a uh, little sort of like an easy way out sort of, because she was literally stabbed pretty badly. And she's like, you know, holding on to Ethan and everything. But, you know, I thought like the sequence itself was cool, but the stake was not there. That's my take. Um, I, my problem isn't a stakes thing. My problem is that it feels tacked on. And like, mm-hmm. so it's like, yeah, so the problem is you have this runaway train where the tr- the brakes are broken, and so we need to fix that problem, and it can't be an easy fix. It can't just be, like, we fix this... Im- like, it, you have to, like, do something hard, mm-hmm. and, like, stopping the train actually wasn't hard. You know what I mean? Like, it was actually really easy. Yeah. Like, they, ju- they just disconnect it, and then it's... And then they're okay, and, like... And then, so, but I think the, the script is aware of that and that it was too easy. And so it gives them this so other problem. Add a level. Yeah, 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 I, I would prefer that. if it was just harder for them to stop the train and they just had to figure out a different way. And then we just don't have this last sequence, even though I think it's cool. Like I, I, I don't think I wasn't like bored watching it, but I just think to me, that's stronger. If it's just, they have to do a harder thing to stop the train. I agree. Yeah. I, I also agree. I think that, um, they maybe they I don't know if it's overstaying their welcome, but I think it's choosing when to end is always an important thing with movies. Yeah. And I think doing this like sequence of like going through the cars had its benefits, I guess. But I honestly like like this doesn't work because of the brakes issue. That's kind of like you have to resolve that in this movie. The bra- you have a runaway yeah. train essentially. But like, imagine if he gets away. And then they're just like, fuck, we, we lost. And they're still on the train, cut to black. Like, that's... If the if the brakes problem wasn't a problem, that's, like, a decent ending of just being like, we didn't win. No, Instead, I like that it resolves. I just think, like... Yeah, because Tom Cruise was actually saying that he doesn't want a cliffhanger ending. He wants, like, a proper ending, and then... Yeah. Well, no, no, no. If, if, the, if, the, if there was still a runaway train, that would be a cliffhanger, but... Uh, like no, I, I wasn't advocating for a cliffhanger. But. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, anyways, we have to move on quickly. Rank yep. the MI movies. Let's do it. First up, my proposal. Worst one. Two. Two. Sure. Like an two, abysmal movie, in my opinion. We, yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> certain factors. It has a good motorcycle chase at the end, but like, maybe like one of the most boring movies I've seen in recent memory. And yeah. I haven't seen it in a while, but if I thought like there was some misogynistic undertones in this, like 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 <laughs> the teeniest amount, that movie is insane. Ethan Hunt has to recruit a, a a female burglar, another burglar, and Peter mentioned that. Um, and to do that, he sleeps with her, and after they are 
seemingly in love or whatever, his his mission he learns after the fact is to make her go with her ex boyfriend who was implied <laughs> to be abusive and scary. Yeah. And like fought, like like pretend they're a couple so that they can infiltrate. Like and so then he'll be pining after her and jealous the whole time from a distance. Like very few stunts. There's a, like an implied like they had to get her into jail and then bad boyfriend had to break her out and that's all off screen. Just like crazy yeah. weird choices. Yeah. And oh my god, the amount of slow-mo in that movie, it's like, I want to see this thing play out. You know, I want to see it play out. And I was like, guess what? Slow-mo time. I <laughs> slow-mo. think that's, isn't that a John Woo? That's a John Woo thing. Like, Maybe, but also it's like, um, I get like, there are a lot of like, a kung fu-esque elements like especially when it comes to hand-to-hand combat in that one but there's so much kicking like this like drop kick <laughs> like there's so much <laughs> kicking in that movie it's crazy <laughs> actually here's here's something i just remembered from that movie a pro yeah. we have a reverse mask reveal bad guy wearing a mask of ethan hunt I don't think they've oh. done that since. That's the one time they've had a ma- uh, a hunt mask. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's a neat idea. Um, moving on. Uh, does anyone have a, a recommendation for second last place, for number six? I'm going to say my recommendation for the top three, because I feel like that's no, where we're going. No. backwards. Okay. So Aiden, I'll hear from um, Aiden. Let me think about that. Okay, so I'll, I'll just go process of elimination. Can't be two, because that's last. Definitely isn't four, five, or six for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's an easy one, but maybe I think it's th- I think it's three. I think I it's agree. Three. Yeah, I think I it's think three. Most even though I quite I quite like three actually. I really three, well, I've talked about this before. Bad. I I quite like three, but yeah, I think I do think it's second last. It's um I think three gets a lot of hate, and it's it's one of the weaker ones, but it's pretty good. Three was yeah. so got, bad. You've got no, you've got Philip Seymour Hoffman killing it. And being like a formidable, scary, like, I'm gonna like fucking kill your wife guy. Yeah. And like, I believed him. Yeah. I believed yeah. him. I was like, oh no. Um, <laughs> don't do <laughs> that. <laughs> don't. You get Benji. You get yeah. um, the, the swinging pendulum thing that they're like, it's never gonna work. I'll make yeah. it work. I don't know. I like that movie. It was fun. I just yeah, really don't like, like the plot of that movie. They're chasing Rabbit's Foot. And, like, <laughs> like what is Rabbit's Foot? Never explain. Doesn't matter. That's, <laughs> I think, that honestly, that's, like, just, like, that's what the Mission Impossible series is. Yeah. It doesn't really matter. But <laughs> yeah, you don't understand the threat? stake if you never explain what the Rabbit Foot There's is. There's radioactive symbol on it. Who cares? Yeah, it's it's ba- of- it will hurt. It will be bad. Vague nah, 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 nah. weapon of mass destruction is enough for me in these movies. I don't need yeah. to know. I don't care. Uh, but, yeah, I think, I don't know. It's, it's not bad. It's not bad. And you get Ethan with big gun. Yeah. And Ethan running. We, we and Ethan Run- I think that that is one of the best Ethan running sequences in the whole franchise. I think. Wait, yeah. wait with e- gun, Ethan right? running along this the thing there is the pretty bridge. sick. So yeah. the, the Ethan Gunn thing is um there's a so on Letterbox if you have the pro version thank you Peter you can change the posters and so yeah. someone has made a poster series of the films so every yeah. film has a similar like cousin or sister poster where yeah. it's a an image from the film a still. Yeah. of 
one of the big stunts. So like the first one is the Langley, like him hovering over the floor. Yeah, Ghost yeah. Protocol, him hanging off the Burj. Uh, yeah. Fallout, him hanging on the helicopter. Mm-hmm. Three is him holding the big gun. <laughs> and like every other one is a stunt. Every single other one is a stunt. Four, or Rogue Nation is the motorcycle. Big gun yeah. for three. That's it. <laughs> Just, that was, I don't know. They should have done the Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall shot on top of the, the Vatican City wall. That's line. Okay. Now, this is what's why the series is so good. Now it gets difficult. Yeah, all of these ones are awesome. Going forward, all of these ones are fire. Like, yeah. I, I have a proposal for you guys. This one. I think Dead Reckoning is number five for me. I agree. I agree. I would put Dead Reckoning above the first one. So this is the first oh, one. Oh, yes, yes. Above the first one, yes. See, the thing is, I'm actually going to disagree on that one. I think we're looking at the first one wrong. I think we're looking. I at love the first, the first one. I think we're looking at the first one, in the, in in retrospect, seeing Fallout as the highest of the highs. But I think we need to look at one, as a product of its time, and as a piece of art, from one of America's greatest filmmakers, Brian De Palma, in making a paranoid, uh, paranoia spy Cold War thriller. Based on a TV show that was like kind of goofy, taking the lead character of that, making him the villain, and like also, I think this is, I think this is the most uh, directed one, in the sense that, auteuristic, I think is the better word to say. Sure, he's using angles, and like McQuarrie is clearly copying that. It's not. He's he's doing it in homage, whereas Brian De Palma chose to do that. He's making all these creative choices, split diopters. It's, I think it's I think it's not given enough credit. No, I think it's cool. I think it's super cool. I love the visual style. I think yes, he's paying homage. Seven has better paranoia. It's just like, and that comes with like the writing. It comes with the extension of the plot and like everything. Some of the writing is not great in the first one. Like, there are some I kind of agree. bizarre choices. It's strange that the way the reveals happen is really strange in that movie. But I think the first one's awesome. I think the trade sequence is sick as fuck. When it's, like, about to hit him and then, like, and then everything explodes. Like, that's awesome. I don't care that it looks goofy. I know it's a product of its time. The Langley heist is awesome. I think this movie's awesome. I think just almost, like... To me, this and seven are somewhat similar, actually, and I just think seven's a bit better. So mm-hmm. for me, it's one seven. And also, like the Giallo style brutal murders of his team members yeah. is quite insane at the start. There's just like the elevator like, think, one's sick. Yeah. I think the opening sequence is very strong. Um, I and I do. Th- I even I think that like it falls off over time. I think it's not quite as strong in the third act. But you like that part, so we're... We I just like the train, like, fight. Like, I just like... But I, I don't think it's as good as the rest okay. of the movie. I like trains. Um, <laughs> okay, I'll concede here, but sure. you're going to have to give me some leeway on my my other one. So I'll let you put one down here, which I think is a, a crime. But So then next, can we say Dead Reckoning? Yeah. But I think, like... E- one would be next if for you it would just be seven then one right? i have one fairly be... high just on the fact that i really? think 
Wow. It was made by an auteur. Yeah, I guess you haven't looked at my. Yeah, list, but so that doesn't. I like that. But that doesn't mean anything if like, that doesn't mean anything if the movie is the movie. You know what I mean? Well, I'll do. We'll get into it. Okay, so 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 far we have lowest two, three, three. one, seven, seven, part one. Now we have to recap. Oh, I'm it's just it. four, five, and six. Ghost, Ghost Protocol. Just four, five, and six. Uh, Rogue yeah. Nation Rogue and Mission Fawn. And Fawn. Yeah. Okay. So that this is in a clear order for me. Uh, these are yeah, me in, too. As, I, to me, these are in these are in I'm, ascending order of quality. And I'm going to fight but, you on this, and I need I you to give me some leeway because, well, I, let's just put cards on the table. Okay. Clearly, you guys think it is six at number one. Yeah. Five, four. Yes. I, I think. think yeah. But I would be willing to switch four and five. That's but I'm actually fine with that because four is the best one for no, me. That is I, I can't go four for number one. I can't. I, I can go four two. My, I, I can go myself. four two. I'm fine with that. I've watched all of these movies in recent memory within the last week or so. Four is the only one that gets like, like ecstatic energy out of me, where I'm like. This is like this could be my favorite thing. I am not going to pretend that it is without flaws. Maybe one of the most forgettable villains. I really don't know who he is. Hendrix. The, yeah. the third act, not great. When they just randomly go to India and yeah. it feels like that feels like a really tacked on ending, like where are mm-hmm. we going with this? But the first two thirds, the Burge. Oh, fire. They're fire. I, I, yeah, I, for sure. In my opinion, I don't think the series has topped the Burge sequence. What? Climbing. I disagree. Yes, I disagree. No, I, that bad. is what I feel. I don't think they've done yeah. anything more tense and also just like generally nail the tone that I, I think is the best tone of the franchise where it's serious, but also this is the first one where they're funny. I don't think they're funny before this. Like Benji a little bit in right. the J.J. Abrams one. But this one, I think, is where they really landed the plane on that sense. Um, also, like like the opening prison break scene gives me such joy. That's awesome. Yeah. When even like before that happens, there's the random agent we, who dies immediately. He's running on the roof of a building, jumps off of it, throws something to the ground, turns around midair, shoots two guys who are still on the roof. The thing lands on the ground and is an inflatable mattress type thing and he lands on it and walks away. That is insane. That is awesome. That's Kremlin awesome. Kremlin sequence, the hallway. There's so much in there. Okay. Movie. Oh, awesome. Yeah, for sure. But like six to me does all of those things. Six is everything I would want from an Admission Impossible movie and borderline anything I could possibly ask for in a movie. In an like, action movie. Yeah, what, yeah. When I was re-watching it, I was like, I was shocked by like, just back to back to back the coolest scene like the opening when they're when they're using the wolf blitzer mask to trick the guy into admitting it that's such a good right. out. and it, it's so hype like i like i know i knew exactly what was happening the whole time and i was like clapping in my room watching it and then almost immediately we go into the halo dive which is like not even in the top three stunts in that movie, which is insane. And then we go into the bathroom fight next, and then it just like it just keeps going. Like it's just, it's like the to me it's like the most memorable things. Like easily to me the to me the bathroom fight is the most memorable scene in the entire franchise. 
I think that it's short, but it's it's so good. Like it's one of the best action scenes I've ever seen in a film. It like at fight scenes, it's so good. The chases are so good. Like I love I love the way the movie like it reveals some things to you, but then it doesn't reveal others. Like when Ethan like rams the car into the truck and then you get like That's the awesome. sick ass, you get the sick shot of like the water flowing up against him. And it's like, what's, and it's, what's it's going rising, on? It's rising. It's yeah. rising from a very confusing angle yes. as we've changed perspective. That's yeah. yeah. That's oh, awesome. it's, it's so I like cool. Fallout. I will like, it's I'll like, just say I like Fallout. It's good. I know. But, and then, and then we get into that chase scene and it's just like, like, it's just, it's so cool. And then we get the Tom Cruise running through the roof. I think that's a really good scene that marries the comedy with the action where Benji doesn't know he's on a roof. Yes. And he's yeah, giving directions and it's like, go, go left. left. And he's like, are you sure? <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Like, that's so awesome. And then we get into the helicopter stuff, which is just inspired. Like, just, just an inspired decision. Just so good. Um what I will say though, I think Rogan, uh, not Rogan, sorry. I think Ghost Protocol is great. I love Ghost Protocol. I love the Burj Khalifa sequence. I love the line where he's like, "No shit," when it's like <laughs> the line isn't long enough. Like that's hilarious. It's yeah. awesome to me. Like it's just follow. It's just so strong the entire time, and it never takes its foot off the gas. It just it just keeps getting better. Like as the movie goes on, it's insane. Oh, absolutely. And so Peter it just has something. to be one. Peter, say something, anything. I, I, I need you to say something to defend Rogue Nation. Because I feel like Rogue I love Nation... Sure, I'll hear it. I'll hear I it. think Rogue Nation is getting some unnecessary hate. So You haven't said anything not, mean about Rogue Nation. <laughs> yes! You want to put it on third! It's clearly second! That's an implied slight against To me, it's second, too. I'm just, I'm, just, I'm just willing to bargain. I'm willing to put Rogue Nation 3 Thank for... You. Yeah. Like, I think... Um, really, really interesting. Like, I think Alec Baldwin... As this sort of like, you know, we've seen this type of character before. It's right, you know, doubtful about the IMF. And then eventually the way they got him on board was so cool. It's like, you know, it's like literally like, it's like the one person they didn't expect them to to impersonate, which is the British MI5, apparently, uh, director. They impersonated him and then got the whole reveal out. That sequence was sick as fuck. The whole underwater sequence, like a vault underwater, and you have to do a heist in a vault underwater, yeah, cool. and the way you enter that vault, and then the the current thing controlling it, and then also like turning it back on. So much stake in that one as well. And then of yeah. course the opening opera. I love the opera scene. It's a sniper oh, yeah. on a sniper on a sniper. Like how cool is that? You know, it's like who is Rebecca Ferguson shooting? Who is the guy yeah. in the fucking lighting booth shooting? They're all gonna shoot you. someone. Is the uh, and then eventually. We thought the Chancellor of Austria is safe and the car fucking explodes, you know? <laughs> and it's all yeah. part of the plan! Like, how crazy is that? And how crazy Solomon Lay, Solomon Lay is just the most... Uh, honestly, I gotta tell you. Like, Solomon Lay and John Lark, two of my top villains, honestly, in the, in the entire Mission Impossible franchise. First of all, aesthetically, cool as fuck. The, first, the way he introduces himself is literally by killing an IMF injury in front of Ethan's face. Or, already we're like rooting against this guy we're like this guy's awful and then the way they capture him as well in the same fashion as the way sort of he traps ethan in the first little bit amazing like my second favorite no doubt i agree fallout tops it of course but this is my second favorite Uh, okay for rogue for rogue nation first of all very funny to me that your first defense of the movie was Alec Baldwin. No, no, no. I was always going to save the movie for you. So, the way you... They brought I know, him on board you said a lot of yeah, things, so it's fine. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. Um, 
There's, I like this movie. Okay. I just think it's a bit vanilla and a bit forgettable, where Fallout isn't. I think, I think Fallout is more memorable. I think Solomon I Lane is not the, the strong villain that you claim he is. He's stronger than Ro- Ghost Protocols. I'll give you that. I still have no idea who is the villain of Ghost Protocol. I it's don't even some, remember, though. No. It's some Russian <laughs> guy. And there's a great part where he's, he's... It's the sandstorm sequence. Another great sequence in Ghost yeah. Protocol. Where Ethan's chasing after this guy. He's in the car, and Ethan's able to pull something off. And he realizes it's a dude wearing a mask. Does not matter. Does not matter that the person who he thought he was chasing was someone else. It has no bearing on the plot whatsoever. Why that's the case, I don't know. But Solomon Lane, not great. And I'll say why. He's set up as like this anti-Ethan Hunt. And he's just, he's not. He's just a guy who's sitting in a chair most of the time. Sure, he shoots someone point blank, but they're defenseless. Like, he doesn't actually do it. He's a guy in a chair villain. He's not an anti-Ethan Hunt. I don't think he's that amazing in that movie. Fallout, when he's, he's, got, the, Fallout. When he's got the yeah. beard look, and he's, like, <laughs> kind of like a crazy... Like, he seems a little unhinged in that movie. And yeah. He's like, the fallout of all your good intentions. <laughs> well, like, I was like, oh, that's, that's good. I like yeah. that. Um, I don't know. Rogue Nation, uh, Ilsa Faust. I think like awesome. I like the movie. I just I don't have the same reaction to it as Ghost Protocol. I think Ghost Protocol is um, has higher highs, despite mm. I know it's a flawed movie. But it's the only one that gets me really going. So I I think it's okay <laughs> to go Fallout One, Rogue Nation. No, Fallout 1, yes. Ghost Protocol, yes. Rogue Nation. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with that. I just want to touch on Rogue Nation really quickly. Um, very, very quick. Uh, yeah, so I actually agree that the Burj Khalifa sequence is a higher high than anything Rogue Nation hits. But Rogue Nation is just consistently fired throughout the whole thing. Holding onto the airplane is sick. The car chase is sick. When he does like that drift maneuver in the street and takes out the two motorcycles, like that's, that is so awesome. When like... I, I love the chase stuff in that. Ilsa's great. Um, yeah, no, that, that's I, that's another one I haven't seen in a while, but I love that one. Uh, and so, like, that one's in my list is two, but I'm willing to go three for it, yeah. Okay. So I think we've more or less reached a consensus. Some people yeah. had to bargain. Both of us did, Peter, so don't be sour about this. But <laughs> I just want to add the letterboxed ranking, which I will say, not the end-all, be-all of rankings. I think it's a heavily flawed system, just like everything else, yeah. because normies can do it, and normies <laughs> will flock to big movies. So speaking of that, do you know what the highest-rated one is right Probably now? Probably Dead Reckoning, right? It's is Dead, it Dead Reckoning. Reckoning. Yeah. Yeah. Dead Reckoning is the highest score. Same situation as Guardians of the Galaxy, the new one. I think, it's, yeah. I think, I think Letterboxd is becoming more popular, and when people are seeing blockbusters that look visually different which guardians definitely did and i think this one does as well and also having like stories that seem to be poignant and like okay i'm kind of like like i think guardians is a much worse movie than uh dead reckoning so i'm kind of saying mean things about dead reckoning and uh accidentally but all i'm saying is i think they're getting fooled into thinking these movies are better than they actually are so i don't think i don't think most people who talk about film are going to think that 
Dead Reckoning is the best of the franchise. I think that's... I'm laughing at it. I don't think that's anywhere near the case. But um, actually, the rest of it is more or less what we said. First is... After that is Fallout. Ghost Protocol is next, although it does technically have the same numerical ranking, followed by Rogue Nation, then um, Mission Impossible 1, 3, 2. Now, we have to move on. We have to leave soon. Uh, Very quickly, we'll do Predator's uh, movies. Announce it. Very quick. Okay, uh, yeah, so I watched uh, Mission Impossible 1 and Mission Impossible Fallout because those were just, I hadn't seen one in a while, and Fallout's my favorite one. Uh, Both awesome. Fallout's the greatest movie ever made. Uh, no, I watched No Country for Old Men. This is actually probably one of my other favorite movies ever made. Uh, I gave that five stars. I, it was a rewatch. Love that movie. I've been rewatching True Detective season three. Very intriguing. I skipped season two because I heard it was bad. Uh, I'm liking great. season three so far. Cool. Not the segment I meant to throw to, but uh, Predator's Picks is where we talk about what we've seen. Uh, oh, I've right. seen yeah, I saw <laughs> yeah. Mission Impossible 4 through 6. We've talked about it. I also saw Insidious the Red Door. Not great. Don't talk about it. Uh, Peter, you've seen all the Mission Impossible movies, it looks like. Yes. So so I was like, Alex, no way I'm going to rewatch all the Mission Impossible movies. I didn't tell you to. You're crazy. And then I fucking did it. So, you know, Mission Impossible 1 to 6. Same opinion as Aiden. Fall is fucking fantastic. Rogue Nation is my second pick. And then, you know, the movies after. We already ranked them. So, um, yeah, let's uh, let's move on to the plugs. I will say it was very funny because I was like... Maybe consider watching some of the greatest films of all time just for fun. You don't need to see it for this movie. And you're like, <laughs> no, you can't make me watch all of them. I was like, don't. I'm literally not telling you to do <laughs> They're that. They're sick, though. Why would Maybe you not? <laughs> watch one for this movie. It seems to be relevant. Maybe watch the Macquarie series. Do what you want. And you're like, no, you can't make me watch all of them. And then you started watching them. And then you're like, I can't believe you're making me watch all of these movies. There's so many. <laughs> never made you do that and we missed yeah. a segment we did miss a segment so uh we uh blah, blah, blah. this is predator versus movies we talked about the movie part now it's time to get into the predator we asked the question would this movie be better if the predator from the movie predator was in it no no maybe i don't know let's see <laughs> predator impossible AI. <laughs> uh, i want to see the imf go against predator maybe he has a choice maybe he has a mission he chooses to accept who knows uh next right. week we are going to do Barbenheimer. We actually have to talk. Oh about my god! That's we have to talk so about whether we have to check how we're doing this. Yeah, I kind of want to do a full like a four f- hour. <laughs> just <laughs> one F. Yeah, I kind of. It's kind of crazy. When are you guys watching yeah. it? I'm seeing it back to back on Friday. I'm gonna watch it on the Saturday back to back. I have to okay. decide who I'm seeing it with. So okay. I might see it with Aiden on Saturday. I don't know if there's. We'll see. But um, sure. very clearly, it's Oppenheimer first, Barbie second, baby. Barbie Hell just yeah. desserts. Yep. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. If you like us, check us out on Instagram and Twitter at Predator V Movies. If you like my thoughts on movies, check me out on Letterboxd at underscore Alex Gordon underscore. I leave reviews sometimes, sometimes shorter, sometimes more about the experience. doesn't matter. Anyways, Aiden? Uh, you can also check me out on Letterboxd. I'm 810Sunny. That's 810-S-O-N-N-Y. My name is Wombo. I also leave reviews sometimes. They are often short and rarely long. And I Peter, don't do you have, have any... anything to plug. You know what that means. Leave a review. Leave a comment. Leave a like. Uh, tell people about it. That's how the algorithm, oh no, AI, that's how oh, AI no. knows and defeats Ethan Hunt and makes our podcast popular. Thank you. Do that, please. And uh, we'll see you next week. I'm Alex. Pew, pew, pew. I'm Peter. <laughs> I'm Aiden. Pew, 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 pew. We're messing up the order. This is Predator vs. <laughs> Movies. Pew, 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 pew. <laughs>